And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. This is the Hagman Report for today. It is Wednesday, July 11th, 2018. I'm not seeing anything on the monitor. Are we okay? All right. Eric's being cantankerous. There we go. Sorry about that. Periscope. I guess we're... Are we on Periscope? (laughs) I'm kidding. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. Thank you so much, again, for your belief and your trust in, in us to bring you what other people won't bring you. We've got a great show lined up for tonight. Uh, coming out of the gate, uh, the song man's going to come back. You, you know, everyone knew about the soccer team, Thailand, cave. Yeah, how could you not? Trapped. Saw man was there on the ground, boots on the ground, rescuing, assisting in the rescue efforts. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you got to yank this information out of him, all right? He's not saying, hey, I was there. No, no, no. So he's going to talk about that. Um, just to kind of tell you what a guy, kind of guy he is, all right. And then uh, we've got uh, Newsbusters reporter Scott Whitlock joining us, as well as Liz Croak, and then Brandon House and Pastor David Langford to round out the show. So it's going to be a great show. I want everyone to uh, uh, to stay with us and to tell others about this program. Do us a favor, please subscribe to this show on YouTube. Uh, it's nothing to lose ten, fifteen thousand subscribers at a, at a, you know, at a time. It's nothing to, to get, um, uh, it just happens. Much like Twitter, uh, shadow band on Twitter. Uh, follow Hagman Report on Twitter. Follow at Hagman PI as well. So at Hagman PI and Hagman Report. Follow, um, just, and also bookmark Hagman Report. Um, you know, it's amazing right now. Our show, of course, tonight, Titled Immigration uh, Trafficking SCOTUS and Journalists Attacked by the Left. Journalists Attacked by the Left, just real quick. You see, this is a, this is a full out assault by the communists. Now, I said this before, and this is my opening statement. It's going to be about 60 seconds. There are really two parties in this country. It's not Republican and Democrat. It's not even conservative and liberal. It's deep state, comma, shadow government, well, if you listen to Kevin Shipp, which which we do, shadow government of which deep state is a subset, uh, communists, globalists, same thing, socialists, democratic socialists. There there are no modifiers in front of socialists. Versus the constitutional Christian conservatives. All right, now if you're not a Christian. If you're, if you're Jewish, okay, I get that. But constitutional Christian conservatives, it's them versus us. It's they are on the attack. They've got control over Hollywood. They've got control over academia. They've got control over the media, meaning the press. They've got control over and even the churches. That's the way it is. So we're at war. Some say the first round, the first bullet fired was at that uh, Republican baseball game. Others say it's yet to be fired. 
But make make no mistake, we're at war. And those who don't believe we're at war, that you're not paying attention. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And by angry, I'm talking about righteous anger. I'm not talking about frenzied anger. Um, if you're not concerned, you're not paying attention. Now, we know how the story ends. We believe, we, we come at this from a Christian worldview, so we understand how the story ends. But there's a lot of bumpy road between now and then. The perversity of the left, of everything they touch, is coming to the forefront. The situation is untenable as it stands right now. Something is going to give. That's my, I don't want to say prediction, but, but that, that's, that's what I suspect. Something is going to give. There's going to be an event that is going to create a crisis that is going to cascade into a series of events and crises that we, we, we might not be able to stop. When I see my grandchildren, I wonder what kind of future they're going to have. And see, it's not about me. I, mean, I could assume room temperature tomorrow. We all could, but I could. I mean, you know, the numbers are what they are, statistically. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about this generation. It's about the children. And not the way the progressives mean it. So if if you're so stuck on stupid that you don't care about the children, your children, and future generations, I would request that you, I don't know, watch reruns of Friends or something. We're going to go at it. I'm telling you, we're going to go at it. And I, and I, and I noticed that uh, InfoWars, Alex Jones, you know, the left's favorite whipping boy, um, calling out, the fact that we're engaged in a civil war, make me you know, mocking him, right? Do you see some of the crazy eyes that are mocking him on a, on a, on a full time basis? No. Okay. No. I'm not going to give away anything, except to say, look at the eyes. <laughs> yeah. And I've seen them. Uh, I've seen those eyes. I've got those eyes on me. They're crazy eyes. What's her name? Acacia, uh, what's her, that, uh, you know, I just want to put it out of my head, that woman in New York, that, not, not the woman, that, that the new girly, that, the, the Alexandria Ocasio Cortez? Yeah, Cortez. I'm going to call him Cortez. In fact, we're, since she's a public figure, we'll call him Cortez Eyes. Okay. She's, I'm going to tell you. There, there are Twitter. Look, there are websites and Twitter and Facebook that, that you know, have got twenty-five, thirty thousand people follower, you know, followers, run by people with crazy eyes. I should send it. I have a few pictures of good memes of people like you're talking about. I should send over to Eric. You know, those huge, the, the, the triggered underneath it. You know, the, the triggered memes. 
some of the reactions to President Trump's election come to mind on those compilation videos. Yeah, yeah. But but here's what I'm saying, and and I I, I try to throw some levity in here because without levity, I don't know. The, the people that that don't, I don't want to be. Well, it would be easy for someone to, you know, swallow a bullet. And and I'm not saying that for when you look at what's going on, and you look at the at the at the fact that you've got so much corruption, so much perversity, so so when you've got this this wolf character that's not even a comedian, she's a communist perverted mm-hmm. uh, piece of human piece of debris. And I, look, anyone who, who celebrates abortion, Michelle Wolf, okay. In my personal today. opinion, I, I know, I know. She, 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 she's a, she, look, I'm a Christian. Not a very good one. But I'll tell you something. I'm not even, uh, uh, what do you say to that? What do you say to that, per, that level, at, at, to that level of perversity? What do you say to that? Well, how do you respond to that? All right, so that's that's you know, and look, Congress, would you do something? Would yeah, you Lisa flip Page, and do something? Lisa Page didn't show up for her hearing. Oh, wow. Okay, do you realize that that USC two USC section one ninety two? Throw them in jail. Apparently, she's okay. going to get another chance. Two. USC section 192 Congress if if you if you flip off Congress they can actually put you in jail paging Paul Ryan oh wait no never mind Paul yeah okay how about Jim Jordan how about that anybody sessions unflipping believable yeah, and there's a lot more. Uh, we have Craig Sore with us, but it also came out declassified Huma Abedin's 2016 302 or FBI interview uh, notes has come out showing that she lied to the FBI. The same thing that you know Flynn is, uh, well, he's pled guilty, but has had his sentencing delayed three times. And there's no accountability. It's it's not equal justice. It is uh, when when it comes to the left, the rules of law do not apply and no, nobody no, is held to, no. to the, that accountability and yeah. that's a problem when you don't have equal justice under the law you have anarchy and pretty much look out the window yeah with that let's bring on our guest craig the sawman sawyer he was just with us last night but we did not get a chance to talk about uh from his return trip he heard the story of the soccer team and kids that were trapped in a cave for up to 30 days almost and he stopped diverted his flight to lend a hand and we bring him on to tell us the story as uh craig this is a very interesting story that many people uh, news organizations uh, have been following that, that don't, over the last uh, few weeks especially uh, during the rescue operations that we saw uh, that were dragged out over a period of three days but you were a part of that you want to jump in and let our audience know exactly what you guys did you be the man yeah sure well uh 
first of all, I, I want to give credit to the guys that actually conducted the rescue. I went to go try to help. I'll just share a little bit of what happened. So we had been running joint operations with other NGOs all around Southeast Asia, three countries, uh, law enforcement, three other NGOs. So a lot of stuff uh, pertaining to human trafficking. We worked tired. We've been flying a lot. My left ear was swollen completely shut. Uh, parts of the team had been uh, sick. Uh, throughout the time so we were ready to get home and we were on our way out we had a uh, flight out of Bangkok back home Freedom Bird we call it and uh, but it had been a great trip and I got a message for one of my guys back at headquarters and said Craig they are those boys are still in that cave in Chiang Rai and that happened while we were traveling around uh, Southeast Asia and we'd heard about it uh, and it actually, it passed through Chiang Rai while that was happening, but understood that the, the divers were there and the military and everything. So, um, I was told, uh, some information that caused me to believe I could be of help there. Uh, I'll just put it that way. And I realized, okay, let me cancel my flight home. Let me reroute. Let's go back to Chiang Rai and see if there's anything that we can do to be of assistance there, not knowing what they had. Uh, in the way of diving equipment and experts on hand. And uh, so I, I sent out a query to a private group of U.S. Navy SEAL uh, brothers of mine, said, hey, look, guys, um, what do you have in the way of solutions? I've got my own ideas, but uh, let's put our heads together in case we can help this this desperate situation there. And we've got some guys that are that are very extensively qualified. I'm, um, I'm a little more qualified than the average SEAL because I've got a diving supervisor, and uh, what we call lead diver training courses that uh, just give additional equipment and uh, technique and experience on it. But we've got guys that far exceed my capability uh, that have been uh, commercial divers and, and worked in a bunch of different capacities for many, many, many years uh, daily. So they all pitched in their ideas and solutions, and I, I gathered those and, and went down to Chiang Rai, and uh, our headquarters started shipping water. Uh, pallets of water in for the drinking water for the the rescue crew and the workers and when we got down there <clears throat> there was a, a series of roadblocks with military and police they weren't going to let anybody near that place it was a, a kind of a zoo um, dozens and dozens of trucks of giant generators and um, there's thousands and thousands of uh, press there international press the media were just swarming uh, the the site uh, for the for the scoop and the story so we were able to, through our bona fides, get uh, clearance ahead of time and get past uh, all the checkpoints and get all the way up there and talk to the people in charge. I met with the uh, U.S. military liaison officer there, and uh, he said, hey, look, Craig, this is a unique situation. Um, you know, what's your level of proficiency, expertise, and currency? And I told him, and he said, look, this is this is uh, very complex cave diving. These guys, uh, there's a civilian crew here that are the best in the world. They are already here. And they've been deliberating on it, and uh, they've got very unique equipment that they have developed uh, that's specially designed for cave diving. You know, there's redundant systems for everything in case you, you know, drag across a rock or you pinch something or break it. Uh, you can still continue to function under those desperate situations. Because, look, in a cave underwater, you can't just uh, blow and go and go up to the surface as an emergency like you can. Uh, and open water. So it's, uh, it's very important that you have redundant systems and specialty equipment. And they had all that there. So, okay, I said, uh, well, that's fantastic. I was glad to learn that. And, uh, 
I expressed uh, what it was that that I came to to volunteer. I said, "Look, man, I'm here to to help however I can." In fact, I just grabbed a bunch of bags of ice, hauling them from trucks into the tents and and helping people. I'm here to help however I can, and I'm not trying to, you know, force myself into the into the expert rescue crew that are going to do the the deep cave rescue. I'm just here to help in good faith, however I can, and bring this knowledge to make sure that you guys are not without anything that the U.S. Navy SEAL community has offered to me uh, so to make sure that you guys do, in fact, have all those solutions in mind in case you haven't thought of any of them before. And so that was – it felt good to, to relay that and make sure that they had all that information and uh, just spend some time kind of deliberating and planning and talking and, and learning more about what was going on there. So that was really the nature uh, of my experience there. You know, it was very rainy, muddy uh, – Space was tight. Uh, it almost felt like you were in the way. Like we needed to get back out of there. If we weren't going to suit up and go into the cave, like the best way we could contribute, after having made sure all that knowledge is transferred and every every solution uh, was known and on the table, uh, was to withdraw and get back out of the way. It was, it was kind of like that. So everybody was sliding around and then, um, you know, rain boots sliding around in the mud and uh, and desperately working. To, to try to find the solutions, uh, there's an like an 800 meter tall jungle mountain right above the cave site. So drilling down didn't seem like an immediate res- uh, solution, really, due to the uh, the jungle terrain and the the, the vegetation and uh, uh, the rain and, and and everything else and the, and the time. It didn't look like I had time to get equipment up there and really start any sort of serious drilling operation. So. Man, it was a desperate, desperate time, and there was a lot of stress. You could tell people were, hearts were heavy. Everybody, man, you could just feel it. Everybody wanted those boys out of there. I mean, it was, it was tense. And, uh, there, man, there was monks there praying and, uh, chanting, and there were just people, uh, well-wishers uh, nearby and, uh, you know, kind of holding vigil. It was really, really beautiful. Inspiring to see. It was a great, um, Outpour of of concern, and we were really con- hopeful that that the green light would be given to to commence the the operation uh, before the monsoons came in and closed the door of opportunity, the window of opportunity uh, for everybody, and flooded that cave and just put an end to it. And uh, but nobody wanted to execute that that desperate recovery operation until it was absolutely necessary and known that there was no other easier, smarter way. So that cave would would flood a little bit more and then the the water would ebb a little bit more, giving them a little bit of a break. So the the length of the dive in and out would change uh, over time according to how much water could be pumped out of there and how much was flooding back in. And uh, there there are closures inside of that cave system that you cannot fit through. As an example, I'm six foot, 230 pounds. Uh, the the military and police there were pointing at me and saying, you know, you, you can't get through there. You're not going to be able to fit through. And they would show me the guy that could fit through there, and he was about half my size. Hmm. So I realized, man, even if I were current and wanted to suit up and, and, and dig all the way back into the back of that cave, like two and a half miles or however far it was, uh, I couldn't fit even without tanks. And what these guys were having to do apparently was take their tanks off and push them through these narrow openings 
uh, while still on on regulator and then push their tanks ahead of them and climb and push their way and wedge themselves between these uh, openings. Look like maybe uh, 15 inches wide, uh, some of these openings. Um, very, very hairy and dangerous and precarious situation. Jagged edges of the rocks, sharp angles, cloudy, dirty water, uh, strong currents in some situations, some areas, uh, zero visibility in the water. So uh, very, very tricky, very demanding, very dangerous, very desperate techniques. So what they ended up doing, my understanding, was was what we had all agreed was, was the most practical solution, which was to put the boys individually on a flexible backboard. You can't put them on anything big because of the small opening. You can't put them in a big chamber or anything because, again, those small, narrow openings of the cave wouldn't let you pass. So it had to be something very slim. Uh, to slide those boys through. So a little flexible backboard was, was the key. Uh, some sort of full face mask and, and really keeping the boys. I'm just curious. Small, even, like yeah, a, like a, like a scoop stretcher or, or, or something a little bit different. I, I was just curious. Yeah. Just imagine a piece of plastic, uh, kind of half rolled and, okay. and, uh, right. tied around the foot. So, um, even restraining the boys hands, uh, potentially depending on how calm they were. And maybe even a sedative to keep them relaxed because panic would be death in that situation. Uh, young boy panicking, starting to rip it at his mask, rip at other people's mask. He could, uh, he could cause a lot of damage and he could cause several people to lose their lives and cause the whole rescue to go south. So, uh, it was important uh, that the, the boys be kept calm, that they kept the mask seal solid and sound and that they be moved out very deliberately and carefully uh, with that seal intact and uh, that's man so there was the plan was to be one diver in front of the stretcher and one behind and very carefully usher that boy out one at a time and uh, it looks like that's what they ended up um, choosing to do based on the footage that I've seen afterwards so we did go ahead and uh, withdraw uh, after there wasn't anything further we were able to offer physically because uh, it was a tie operation and they had that civilian crew and in case I haven't said it uh, they they explained to me Craig this is a civilian crew that's that's arrived and they have all the specialty equipment and techniques they are the ones that are going to execute uh, the extraction uh, they're, the, they're the best in the world they do this all the time they've done more cave rescues than anyone so they're they're the guys and uh, I said, okay, great. I'm glad they're here. And you let me know if I can help. You know, I'll sweep up or or haul equipment or whatever it takes, man. We just want those boys safe. Craig, I know that one of the um, Thai Navy SEALs had died in those rescue operations. Do we know how that happened? Yeah. Uh, I don't know specifically. I know, but <clears throat> he, he apparently ran out of either uh, oxygen if he was running a closed-circuit rig or... or, uh, or um, or mixed gas or just air, compressed air if he was running open circuit. But he was, uh, Sergeant, um, Salmon Kunan was his name. And what a world class hero in every sense of the word he was. He literally sacrificed his life providing for others. So what he was doing is staging, uh, air tanks, spare tanks fully charged around, along the, the route in and out of that cave. So that at any point, if that rescue team needed spare air, additional air or oxygen, whichever the case 
was, whichever they ended up using, that it would somewhat be nearby. And they, apparently, this word that I, I was uh, told back was that they ended up using every one of those tanks. So what he did was absolutely necessary. He did save lives. And he, he, he sacrificed his life to save others, literally. So that man needs to be celebrated far and wide. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing. And, and, uh, a lot of people, uh, hadn't known from what I could gather talking with different people. I thought this was just a very short thing that these boys were stuck in the cave for only a few days, but it was the rescue operations that really were put out in the news public. These, these kids were in the cave for what up to, th- was it over 30 days? I know it was over two weeks. Yeah. So, uh, they thought that they had lost them at one point. So, a lot of people have asked me, hey, how'd they get in there? Well, a lot of the locals explore those caves. It's a, it's a typical site. They go in there, crawl around and, and explore. So their coach had taken them there to, to explore. And the, the cave began flooding from the mouth of the cave and essentially chased them deeper into the cave. Uh, they had to seek refuge to survive. So it chased them deeper and deeper and deeper until finally they found themselves locked into a chamber and, and with, that was flooded and no way out. And so imagine being in there with with no light for uh, a matter of days or weeks before anybody came back and, and found that you're still there and alive. So uh, kudos to their coach if he kept them calm and, and uh, in good spirits through that because that, that would be key. Um, you, the the you, rescue team did write them off at one time and, and decided there's no way anyone could live. We've, we've got to cancel the search. Uh, they must be lost oof. for good. And then uh, I guess the... Uh, as I understand it, the, the flood receded somewhat, and they went to go just do uh, an exploratory push, and they ended up finding them. Wow. So look, guys, there is a series, a, a, a very long list, a very long series of miracles that allowed all of those 12 boys and the coach to be rescued and, and live. It, every single one of them is a miracle. To get all the way in there, it's either two and a half miles or two and a half kilometers that they were quoting. Wow. If you plot that out on the road or on a map, I man, you imagine going through that. Uh, that's just a, that's just a very tricky, very treacherous and challenging, uh, obstacle to negotiate and to get all the way in there and get someone all the way out. It's just absolute miracle to do it 12 times and even 13 to get a full grown man back out of there. It's just a, that's a miracle. And I, I said a prayer when I heard that they were all out. It's still, it's hard for me to believe, and it's this is something we should all be celebrating tremendously. Amen. You, you know, I, I just want to tell the, our listeners and viewers that uh, Craig Sawyer would never would would never speak, you know, highly of himself. But I got to tell you, it's an honor to have a, a truly an American hero. And, and I know your role. You explained your role there, but nonetheless, you spent your own time, your own money, you and your crew, to go out there and do what you could, offering expertise and uh, manpower and Thank you for doing that. Um, well, I think class everybody out. everybody seemed to kind of feel that way. You know, even people watching from back home, they felt the sense of desperation. Yeah. And uh, we were close enough to where, where we maybe we could have done something. So I I felt an overwhelming sense to to go and do it, and not knowing what we would end up doing. If I'd be up, end up being suited up and in that cave, and and squishing my body through those. Uh, Openings and, and fighting to get those boys, or if I'd just be hauling equipment or whatever it took, but I was willing to do anything. And I think everybody that watched that kind of felt that way. So I'm honored just to have been able to to go there and express my uh, uh, support 
and pray for those guys and uh, and offer some technical assistance and and share those those uh, options from the U.S. Navy SEAL community. So I got to tell you, it, 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 it brings on it, it adds new dimension to your organization, Vets for Child Rescue. Uh, you know, doing what you do normally and then this. Just thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Um, yeah. We've already got. We want the kids safe. You know, it's yeah. all. It's it's just a different kind of saving kids, man. It's yeah. they're all God's babies, all God's precious children. Amen. Yeah, we, we've got Craig. I'll tell you what. We must have thirty or forty emails saying thank you to tell Craig and his crew thank you from us. So yeah, well, don't thank me. Thank those guys that uh, that did the actual hands on. Those are those are the heroes. Let's celebrate them. Let Amen. let let me not be in a interjected into that uh no way the, 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 the very humble yeah man very humble man well oh well, that's for child rescue is the organization craig uh and you guys uh, it's just so fascinating uh, so great working together saving the children in in many, it, this it's a beautiful way. it's a beautiful event all of humankind all of mankind should be celebrating yeah the rest of those boys it's Amen. just a beautiful beautiful effort my brother, we're out of time. I want to say thank you so much again from the bottom of our hearts. And, uh, we're going to keep vets for the number four child rescue in our prayers. Folks, follow Craig. Um, uh, go to vets for child rescue. Help them support this organization for what they do. Craig, Craig, thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me on. Let me speak. I appreciate you. We'll chat soon. All right, brother. Wow. Joe, I mean, you know, incredible stuff, right? International, international in scope, and um, and here Craig the Sawman's out there, and I know, I know what he, I know what his role was, but still, still, come on, man. I mean, you're in Bangkok. Hey, let's take a side trip and do what we can. Yeah, and just an amazing story, and I'm sure. Uh, I'm wondering if the the movie rights haven't already been sold for uh, <laughs> this story yet. I was thinking about that today, and uh, if anybody, because you know, I was thinking about how. Some Hollywood executive is going to be making a hundred million dollars uh, off of a you know a movie or more potentially. Uh, yeah, like look, this I don't mind that though. But as long as the the, the kids who are uh, yeah know, involved, but they'll get a small portion of that compared to. But, but you know what? It would be nice. See, I'd, look, it's capitalism. That to me is capitalism. Yeah. That's fine. Um, I just I, I I would have a problem if if it was you know if well, look, it's capitalism. Let it work. Uh, Craig uh, Craig Sawyer. Vets for Child Rescue. The Vets number four, childrescue.org. Tell them how much you appreciate them. Send them an email. And yeah. tell them you heard, heard uh, him on Hagman Report, hagmanreport.com. So just a, a recap of, of some news today. Uh, President Trump went to uh, Europe for a NATO meeting, which has had a lot of uh, interesting headlines, as usual. Anything President Trump does, you see these crazy headlines that come out. And we got a, our next guest who's going to go over some of these headlines about what happened in the NATO meeting and just the overall atmosphere of the media. And this is a, a guy, Scott Whitlock, from one of our favorite uh, organizations, the Media Research Center, or Newsbusters.org. He's the associate editor for the Media Research Center, Newsbusters.org website. And he has, uh, we're going to be talking about the, the Supreme Court and an article from a co-worker of his, Curtis Hook. Hook? Yeah, well, okay. I, I, I got to tell you, we got as well as other topics, but yeah, I mean, Scott Whitlock, by the way, I've been I've been following his work. Um, he's the associate editor, as you said, uh, Media mm-hmm. Research Center's newsbusters.org, and he's done some just some fabulous work. 
Um, in fact, I got some right here. You know, if you, if you don't, the folks, we get a lot of emails saying, where do you get your material from? Where, who do you follow? Who do you read? Who do you listen to? Um, uh, newsbusters.org, uh, specifically, uh, it, it, let me just make sure I got, I've got the, the titles right here. Um, uh, Scott Woodlock, uh, uh, and again, I just want to make, hang on, my computer's got a mind of its own. Hang on a second. Um, here we go. He's, again, the associate editor for, uh, newsbusters.org, but I've got the, uh, I've got the, 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 the paper, uh, articles here by Scott. Yeah, you can uh, click on his name at the website and it'll take you to uh, an author page that will show you the, the body of work at the it, website. It, it threw me off because I was looking at his, uh, article on Kavanaugh. That, that's what threw me off. And then it skipped his, his latest story about the, um, uh, Palin story. So I apologize. Well, let's, let's bring on Scott. Save me. Save me. <laughs> Scott Whitlock from, from newsbusters.org. Welcome to the Hagman Report. It's great to have you. We really do, uh, uh love the site. We use it daily, uh, both on our daily shows and on, on this show. So it's a, it's a pleasure to have you. Hey, thanks for having me on and thanks for the nice introduction. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, your, your, your work is to me, uh, fantastic. The article you wrote, um, specifically about, uh, Kavanaugh. Uh, interesting. I found it very interesting and very helpful. Your newest piece. And then, of course, your, your previous score, uh, story about, uh, the comedian, disabled vet in Palin. Uh, you are our go-to, one of our go-to authors, our writers and investigative journalists, and we thank you for that. Um, well, thanks. Thank you for the compliment. You know, Scott, I, I, I wanted to ask you this, and, and um, what is your right now? Um, what, what's on your heart the most right now? As you look at the, as you're triaging news stories, as you do, and I know you do. Um, Supreme Court pick, something else. I mean, I, what, what's most important to you right now in your crosshairs? Well, I think the Supreme Court um, pick is certainly the one that's kind of been uh, dominating. And what we've been seeing, and one of the articles uh, that I did on Monday night, just I think kind of in a, in a microcosm on a small level, typified how we knew they were going to cover this and how that they've immediately jumped on it, which was Nightline uh, previewing their coverage. ABC uh, said that uh, tonight on Nightline, Terry Moran reports on the controversial Supreme Court justice pick and possible <laughs> implications for the country. Now, this was hours before the uh, Judge Kavanaugh's name was even announced. They didn't know who it was, but they knew it was controversial. So that's kind of uh, one of the things that we've really been focusing on because we see this every time there's a Supreme Court pick and uh, by a Republican president. Uh, and my uh, colleague, Rich Noyes, actually did a study, and we went back and looked at uh, how they label uh, Republican picks versus how they uh, label Democratic picks. And the Republican picks are always labeled as conservative, very conservative, extreme conservative. And the, the liberal uh, picks by... Democratic presidents like Barack Obama most recently are almost never labeled that way. And so we don't have a problem. We're a conservative organization. We are not ashamed of the label conservative, but it's, it's never applied 
equally conservative liberal, they don't alert their viewers that uh, Barack Obama is appointing some very liberal to the Supreme Court. And that's one of the things we really want people to know. When they say conservative, very conservative, they mean bad. Yeah, they do. And, and as you pointed out, and rightfully so, uh, they were already protesting and the media was, was already uh, denouncing the pick before the name was even released. It didn't matter uh, who, who Trump had, uh, who he was going to pick. They were already prepared uh, to slam him in every which way. And then when the name was released, it got even crazier, as we have seen with the media. But it kind of stepping away from the Supreme Court pick. We'll get back to that. I want to ask you about uh, your experience. I know you have a, a, a good history of working in a number of publications. You've worked for the Washington Times, the National Review, and uh, the I don't know how long you've been doing this, but the atmosphere we've seen in the media uh, just how they have really, as President Trump says, become the enemy of the American people. And I believe they have been for a long time, but it's much, much more pronounced now. They're much more open about it now. Uh, how do you see this playing out with the media hysteria that we see today? I mean, will, will Trump get through the four years? Are the American people buying this hysteria? Will the media die out? How, how's this going to work? I, I don't, uh, well, first of all, I don't think they're going to stop. I mean, clearly, they, they, if anything, it's getting worse and worse. We've been, uh, every a few months, we've been doing this study of uh, positive negative coverage, and it's been almost consistently at 90% negative since he took office. Uh, I, I think, yeah, it, it, the media, they've been liberal for a long, long time. Uh, you can go, you know, go back to the way Reagan was treated. Uh, sometimes we do kind of historical things and go back, look, take looks back at people like Walter Cronkite, who was liberal as well. But I, now you have a president who is, is fighting back with them, uh, against them, who is calling them fake news, and he's being confrontational too. So against them, against the things that they are doing, and their response is to get even more extreme. I think a good example of this is CNN. CNN, uh, you know, like I said, always liberal, and uh, it's not like the, they weren't before, but they used to kind of have the reputation as MSNBC was the extreme cable channel, and they were the mm-hmm. ones that were, they were liberal, but they're kind of the channel you'd watch at the airport. And now they are the, the channel that it, they are the resistance. They have people like Jim Acosta, and they're just constantly fighting with the president. If you watch any of these presidential um the White House press briefings. That that's all they do. So I expect it to keep getting worse over the next couple of years, especially we get to 2020 and the re-election campaign. But I think they, to answer your question, I think that they are tone deaf in how this uh, responds. I think there's a lot of people who either they like Trump or maybe they don't like him or they're kind of unsure, but they see this coverage and it just it turns people off. And that's why I think we've seen uh, the mainstream media just having uh, less and less uh, of an impact. They're still there. They're still loud. But I think a lot of people, like you said, are tuning them out. Yeah, and they've become such a, a mouthpiece uh, for the global elitist and their leftist communist ideology that uh, one of the interesting things about this is in a capitalist society, when you see things like what we see with the media approval ratings, especially with institutions like CNN, and that they have, you know, they've really lost, I'd say, 90% of their uh, consumer base. And the, if it wasn't for them playing at the airports and, you know, all these doctor's office and the contracts that they have, uh, really, they have no no money. no real, They wouldn't be able to stay in business because they don't have 
the, uh, the, the market that they once did. But the money isn't an issue. But my, my problem is, is that as we see the news organizations move further and further, uh, from, away from reality and, and into this insane world, they're grabbing a chunk of the American people that are buying into it with them. And it's a very destructive, uh, hyper-emotionalism atmosphere. And it seems like it's leading towards conflict. And that's my concern. But we don't know the future. We, and I agree, it's not going to get any better. So we're just going to have to continue to hold the fort down. But uh, how's it going to look if and when the uh, next president, who's a Democrat, gets into office, and all these same tricks that were used against Trump are used against the uh, is the media, uh, the hypocrisy of the media? I guess they they have no shame, do they? They don't, and that's one of the things that's one of our biggest complaints and something that we really try and open people's eyes to because our sort of mission statement as an organization, we are not asking for conservative bias. We're not asking uh, CBS and CNN to be right. We're just asking them to be fair. And, and really, it's just quite a contrast when you go from Barack Obama to Donald Trump because as we all know if you were just around in the last eight years, they were basically in love with uh, Barack Obama, and they were they were I don't want to say puppets, but they they were they were not going to speak truth to power as they like that term. And we, the Washington Post, is a great example of Donald Trump becomes president, and the uh, then on, on the masthead of the print edition of the Post, uh, soon after he becomes president, is democracy dies in darkness. Well. How was democracy doing uh, during uh, eight years uh, of uh, Barack Obama? That was never really a concern for them. Uh, you had a uh, Fox News reporter, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but who um, had the o- Obama administration go after him, and uh, James they Rosen. were not exactly friends of uh, free speech, but the media didn't really, they didn't want to be uh, speaking truth to power with Barack Obama. Right, and, and James Rosen's the person you're you're thinking right. of, and yeah. uh, you know they even the Obama administration even made a media enemies list, and that you know it, everything was covered up. Nothing was, uh, w- whereas there were so many scandals under the Obama administration, true scandals, the media always covered for for him, and then they they converted that into uh, you know basically campaigning for Hillary Clinton, and everything that pre- that they're going after President Trump for seems to be a created scandal. But as you said, he's been very uh, he's been pushing back very hard against that and against the media, but rightfully so. I mean, uh, and maybe I'm biased. I, I do have my biases, but I believe President Trump's totally justified in his uh, criticisms and, and uh, bullying of the media, if you want to call it that, because, the, you know, the, the constant lying. But, uh, again, there, I just don't see a solution for this or for this situation outside of, you know, cutting the cord and, and starting to rebuild TV from the ground up again. Did, 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 did y'all see, by the way, let, let me ask this, did y'all see the uh, typo, Donald Trump's epic tweet about Lisa Page and the typo that was made in the, yeah, Scott, have you seen that? Uh, no, I, have, I haven't I haven't seen that one. Uh, all right, all right. Uh, giving you a heads up on this, this is making the rounds. I just I just happened to see it like minutes before airtime. And uh, I, I don't even have it up on my screen. But anyway, um, <laughs> Donald Trump sent this this epic tweet out about uh, Lisa Page, mm-hmm. saying Lisa Page, meaning lawyer, okay? But he said Lisa Page, layer. FBI layer. Yeah, LA. And I thought, how, I mean, what are, if you're going to make a, if you're going to make a typo, maybe that wasn't a typo. 
I love it. And, and but, but people are on, on on him about the typo. I just I thought it was just hilarious. Well, uh, yeah. Well, I'll say about Twitter. Uh, I mean, I, I think the best way to look at Donald Trump's tweet is I think everyone can agree that sometimes maybe he tweets things that he shouldn't or that are ill advised. But the reason that journalists want him to stop tweeting, the reason they want him to, the reason they complain so much about uh, Twitter is because it is his avenue to go around them. It's a way where he can just, uh, like Ronald Reagan used to go around the uh, the media or go around the Democrats in a pre-internet age. This is how Trump goes around the media because. Even when they they want to say, oh, this this latest Donald Trump tweet is terrible, they still have to re- read the tweet out. Or yeah. Donald Trump just uh, talks to people, you know, who are reading it just on Twitter. And so I think a lot of this frustration and anger and this kind of resistance style coverage comes from the fact that these journalists don't have control anymore. This is not... Uh, the 80s or even, you know, the, the early 90s when we, we were kind of in the pre, pre-internet or early internet age. They, they don't have control anymore. Now you have the internet, you have talk radio, you have uh, shows like yours, you have, I could go on and on, Fox News, Drudge, whatever you want to call them, all these different types in varying degrees of conservative, libertarian, whatever, but outlets that people don't have to go to to just, you know, get the news on ABC, CBS, and NBC. And I think that really bugs them. You know, interestingly enough, I watched uh, some of the commentary Brian Stelter gave at the Aspen Institute talk over the weekend, and he, right. he was uh, Mark Dice did a video on this, and he was he played a specific clip from that interview where a woman in the audience asked uh, Mr. Stelter or the panel uh, about the coverage, the constant Trump coverage, and she said, "You know, are we ever going to get back to a time where we can turn on CNN and find out the news that's happening, not only in the country but in the world?" It seems that that is lost in the constant 24-7 Trump coverage, and Stelter said, no, we need to cover Trump 24 hours a day. We need to cover, you know, this right. domestic news. It's fun to watch, and I just, like you said, people, they're, they're tone deaf. They're out of touch with reality. They're out of touch with what the American people want, and I, I want to ask you this uh, off what you just said. The alternative media and the rise of, of the Internet and availability of alternative media options, do you think that's going to continue to chip away at the ratings and the uh, the people flocking to the the Fox News, the CNNs, the mainstream media, and more so towards the alternative media. Do you see that trend uh, just continuing? Yes, absolutely. And uh, sometimes I get the question from people: Well, sort of, what is the the upside? What what can we be optimistic about? And the the answer that I give is that it's kind of what we were, we were just talking about. What I was saying earlier that. With alternative media, they can't get away with what they used to be able to get away with. And so part of that we've seen in the Trump era, they, they have, they've gotten very angry. They, their coverage is, you know, was already biased, but it's gotten even more extreme. But I think that part of that is because of alternative media. And that has um, directly been tied to the Internet. I would um, uh, bring you back to 2004 and uh, Dan Rather, if you remember the uh, – the fake documents when he tried to go after George oh, yeah. W. Bush's uh, military record, and they did this 60 Minutes story about how uh, with uh, these supposedly real documents, and that was really driven by the internet, where people said, "Hey, hold up, these are not these are not documents from the 70s; these are clearly modern documents," and that all unraveled. And and I just like to say that in, if that had happened in let's say 1980. 
he probably didn't rather probably would have gotten away with it. He probably would have gotten away with the damage that he had done to a Republican president or nominee, but they can't get away with it anymore. So that's sort of the, the upside to all of this is the media is just as bad or worse than they've ever been, um, but they don't have the platform and the kind of monopoly that they used to. Yeah, that's very true. And they're, they're losing relevance. And, you know, back to, uh, I guess the, the president, the atmosphere, political atmosphere we have, we have the midterm elections coming up. And I don't like to, I do ask a lot of guests, you know, what they, uh, how they see this coming out. But we've learned, you know, we can't trust what the media says, you know, about the blue wave. We can't trust their polling numbers. Uh, you know, they, they've really, they did a horrible job with the 2016 election. And that opened many people's eyes to the, uh, some, a lot of the errors that the mainstream media uh, intentionally and, and, and sometimes mistakenly gets away with. But, uh, the 2018 primaries or the midterms, what do you expect to see with this political climate? Do you think that we're going to see a drastic change like we have historically with, uh, the, the Democrats taking the House and or Senate? Or do you think that, uh, because of this unique situation where President Trump is, uh, you know, being threatened to be impeached and on and on and on that we're going to see, uh, the Republicans remain in power? Or, uh, is it too soon to tell? I, well, I, I think to, as far as the media, I think you're absolutely right with this talk of the blue wave. Uh, that clearly was a little premature, but that was something that they were promoting in the spring and early summer because they simply wanted it to be true. And, and as we've already seen, now they've kind of backpedaled a little, like, well, maybe not. Um, as far as the kind of uh, nuts and bolts of the politics of it, yeah, it, it, it can be hard to say, and, and surely, surely 2016 taught us that politics uh, these days are unpredictable. I think as far as the Senate, it doesn't seem to me that there's a great chance that the, the Democrats are going to win back simply because the numbers um, the numbers are against. So they have so many Democrats who are up for re-election, and, and there's very few Republicans who are up for re-election, and there's a number of uh, Democrat incumbents who are uh, vulnerable, and uh, Claire McCaskill is vulnerable. In Florida, the Republicans uh, seem to be uh, have a real shot at winning that Senate seat. So I, I don't, I, I don't really see that happening. But having said that, uh, it is very un, an unpredictable uh, political season. Uh, so I will say that if they don't win the the, the Senate and the House. The media, as bad as it's now, it's going to get the freakout's going to get even worse because they really, a yeah. lot of them are pinning all their hopes on this. That, well, we got to stop Trump now, and if they don't win the Senate, I'll say this: what they want, and I think what liberal media, the woman we really feel they need, is to win the Senate and the House. And I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Republicans might well hold the Senate. Uh, the House is much more touch and go because there's a lot of yep. you know vulnerable districts. But but that's what they want: the House and the Senate. And I think if they don't get both, then you're going to see the media get even more extreme. And I agree with you. We talk about this all the time. They have no identity as a party. They have no leader. They have no winning ideas. All they do they run on is Trump hate and and open borders and and perversion. And unless they get some, some new people in there, some new faces and, and some new ideas that are actually going to benefit the American public, they're going to continue to lose relevance. Uh, Scott, I want to ask you this before we go. We talked about the Supreme Court nomination of Kavanaugh. How do you think this is going to play out as far as the confirmation uh, is concerned? Do you think that he'll be confirmed and, and will this be the big battle that they have, are playing it up to be? 
Well, I, I think it actually kind of ties into your previous question about uh, the midterms because uh, the media, the liberal media, they seem to be their own worst enemy because they are going to, liberals in the media and Democrats, uh, Democrat activists are, are going to push uh, these moderate and vulnerable Democratic senators in red states uh, like, you know, Manchin in West Virginia. They're going to try and push these people to oppose Kavanaugh, and uh, right now, I think if you saw his his um, speech on Monday night, and uh, you know his family, he doesn't come across as a extreme uh, person. So I think that's going to be not you know, that's not going to be exactly easy for the Democrats, but and the media, but that's what they're going to push, and and I think that's going to have an uh, impact on the midterms too, because that this this. Uh, Supreme Court opening, I think, was kind of the potential game changer for the midterms because it really it it puts a, a lot of Democrats in red states and purple states in in danger. So I think that's going to be the story of uh, Democrats and liberals in the media trying to push Democrats who may not want to go there to opposing this guy, even though he seems eminently qualified. By the way, folks, if you want to talk about. Um or if you want to read something worth reading, uh, go to newsbusters.org and check out ABC, uh, or check out, um, uh, our guest's latest piece, or not latest piece, but piece, ABC colon reliably conservative. Kavanaugh sends shivers down spines of liberals. Excellent writing, excellent uh, analysis, in my view. And so, Scott, let me ask you this, uh, because you seem to have done some uh, good research into, uh, Kavanaugh here. Many people were concerned that he was too much of a swamp pick, that he was too entrenched in the D.C. establishment on the left and in the right throughout his, his career, and that he was the antithesis of what Trump promised to do in the Supreme Court. What's your opinion on that? I, I think these things are always hard to know, because uh, until a, a nominee actually gets on the court and is there for a year or so, then uh, you, you don't really know uh, on the surface. Uh, you know, looking at, he certainly seems to be very solid on the Second Amendment and several other issues. He's only had the one uh, abortion case, um, which conservatives seem to like uh, how he uh, ruled on that, but uh, we don't really know what he thinks about Roe. I would say that uh, for people who kind of worry that he may be too swampy or too kind of picture perfect, you could have you could have really made the same sort of worry or complaint about Neil Gorsuch because we didn't have a lot on him other than uh, that the Federalist Society looked into him and Pence seemed to like him and so on. Um, and so he's turned out to be pretty solid. So uh, I, I think we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, from what I've read um, and about his decisions, it, I think he sounds promising as a conservative. Okay. Well, no, and I, I've seen uh, both sides of the uh, the arguments on that one, and I just don't know enough about him. And like you said, you're, we have to wait to see when he takes the bench what his uh, you know opinions are, whether his decisions are, and his rulings on the cases. Um, you know, for a matter of time, as we've seen over the years, there's been a number of disappointments judges, people who thought they were more uh, going to be more conservative, and ended up you know becoming. Uh, liberal in their uh, opinions and in their decisions all the time. So there's a fear of that, and I, I understand that fear. Uh, our guest is Scott Whitlock. Scott, we only have about a minute left. Uh, any closing thoughts, anything that we didn't cover that you want to get into real quick? 
Yeah, actually, just real quick on your last point, I would just say I think that definitely is a real fear, and I think maybe one comforting point for conservatives is that the whole reason, uh, you know, conservatives wanted to avoid another David Souter, and so the whole reason for this Federalist Society uh, kind of looking in, into these people and grooming them, and the whole reason for this list was to avoid that from happening again. So hopefully those those things will keep that from happening. Awesome. Hey, it was great having you on, on this debut appearance. Uh, we look forward to your reports. And again, we use Newsbusters on a regular basis. The Media Research Center, one of the only places where you can actually go get a media bias report and the media censorship report, uh, most importantly, showing how conservative news outlets are being censored on social media, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, etc. Again, go to newsbusters.org. Go to the author page for Scott Whitlock and check out his work. Follow him on Twitter at Scott JW. Scott, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks for having me on. I'd love to come back. Uh, I'd love to have you. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. All right. When we come back, we have uh, next segment is going to be with Liz Crokin. Then after that, a half hour with Brandon House, followed by Pastor Langford taking us out. So we still have a full show ahead, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Wednesday edition of the Hagman Report. How about this for uh, a failure? Uh, Anti-Trump protest at NATO, where they expected thousands to gather at this Make Peace Great Again protest. How many people came? A dozen or so. Make Peace Great Again organizers were expecting few thousands of protesters to gather outside the NATO summit in Brussels on Wednesday evening to protest President Trump's attendance. Only a couple dozen demonstrators showed up. Euro News, uh, uh, Damien Embling reported the organizers were expecting a few thousand people to attend the protest, but just a few dozen turned out. And the protesters were rallying around the slogan, Make Peace Great Again, a ploy on Trump's 2016 campaign slogan, Make America Great Again. And, uh, you know, obviously these people, uh, as Trump is over there, uh, one of the interesting stories from the NATO today is the media's twisting of the president being hard on our NATO allies, twisting that into some sort of uh, a love fest with, with Vladimir Putin and an isolation from our own allies, it's just simply not true. If you go and watch the videos, not the news-edited sound bites of the videos, but the actual videos of President Trump uh, being very bold and, and very outspoken to these European and other NATO leaders, uh, his requests are not... Uh, you know, it's common sense. It's good for our country. It's good for NATO as a whole. The questions that he's asking, specifically, the one about you know, Russia is not part of NATO, but Germany is. And why is Germany entering into a multi-billion-dollar-a-year uh, energy deal with Russia, exporting or importing gas and and oil uh, directly from Russia, giving them billions of dollars a year when they're supposed to be. Uh, you know, protecting themselves from Russia. And the president took a hard line with Angela Merkel on that. And the media obviously turned it into to something that it, it that it was not. But anyways, the president is over there. Uh, we see some other headlines from that. USA 
pushes leaders to increase defense spending to 4%, which doesn't seem like much. Uh, you know, I've heard, uh, even on the, the morning show here on our local, uh, channel 1400, I'm not even going to say the person's name, but I mean, before the national show comes on, Laura Ingram comes on, there's a local host here and, and pretty much is a, a, a liberal, is completely liberal in all the talking points and all the ways that just, you might as well watch CNN. But, uh, they were, parroting the same nonsense about Trump lying about the United States spending or the 90% of, of NATO's budget. And they were breaking it down like a snow piece. Uh, no, the president was lying. It's not 90%. It's actually, you know, 87.3 and on and on and on. But any move in the direction of the U.S. spending less and other NATO allies putting more towards NATO and the defense of uh, the North American uh, Treaty what does NATO stand for? Why can't I remember? North American Treaty Organization. Organization, right? Okay. Okay, but but military spending by country, uh, seven in 2019, uh, fiscal year 2019, 700 or seven, yeah, 709 billion. Uh, now, U.S. spending, right? It's uh, U.S. Uh, no, this is now okay. Um, the U.S. about half of that 709 billion. I can't read the. Uh, I've got to get my. Again, I got to get my eyes checked. I can't Some read the sticker chart. glasses. You know. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Germany, uh, forty-three point nine billion, and uh, uh, Diana West had a great tweet. She said the insanity of self of the self degraded, and that's in response to a Hill article. Bottom line, um, what Donald Trump said essentially was, "We pay to defend you from somebody that you're in an energy business." Right, deal with. Right. Okay, are you crazy? Are you in your mind? What's wrong with this picture? So. And the media trying to make it into, uh, you know, uh, turning it all around, trying to say that, you know, somehow this is the president and Putin. Open collusion, I think, that Terry Moron, I know his name's Moran, I'll call him Moron, though, uh, from ABC News, their foreign correspondent, he, he says that Trump is not trying to uh, increase uh, NATO. He's trying to blow up NATO, and he cites this as a direct example and also said that uh, this is open collusion with President Putin and could be used as evidence against him in the Mueller probe. But anyway, enough with that. We have our guest on for this segment. Liz Crokin uh, is with us, and she's got some interesting stories to talk about, primarily the uh, Joel Davis story, which is such a disturbing story. We talked about it. We mentioned it a few times last week, but not really in any uh, detail. I urge people with she's a very strong one, stomach yeah. to read the report, but if you do not have a stomach for these things, please do not read this Report on what this you know guy what? has uh, done. Look, everyone needs to know, though. Joe, Joe, look, look. It's uncomfortable, in my view. It is terrible. But, but you know what? Day. You've got see that that's that's the thing. Um, re- remember the beheadings issue. Yeah. Right. Sanitized versions. Is something. No, the, the, these are horrific acts of of despicable violence. So, you know, I, we put them up on our website at one point back in. You know, right after um, he's the uh, time to do a chair and make me watch him. No, I didn't. But but you know what? The fact of the matter is, Christians, conservatives, they want to downplay the horrific nature of what's going on, and and you can't do that. So, yeah, you 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 need to you need to listen to what Liz says and read the articles about this guy. Go ahead, Joe. I just wanted to Liz, it in there. it's great to have you back on and. Unfortunately, we have to talk about this subject of pedophilia and the, uh, you know, uh, whole pedogate issue. Obviously, we, we saw where, 
you know, the Pizzagate investigation went, and the, the, the news media saying it's a conspiracy theory, this stuff doesn't happen. And since that, uh, you know, since their debunking of Pizzagate, we've seen record numbers of human yeah, right. child sex trafficking arrests and, and uh, organized pedophilia busts. And now we're seeing some of them inside their, their own uh, Clinton circles and DNC circles. What can you tell us about Joel Davis? Because there's been some questions as to his associations with the Hillary Clinton campaign. Some people are saying, well, wait a second. He's not, he wasn't really associated with her campaign. Uh, he might have volunteered at an event here or there, but you can't make that association. What do we know about him? Well, I think it was the Daily Mail that said that he worked on the Clinton campaign. And then from what I researched, True Pundit, um, you know, wrote that he worked for the Clinton campaign, but I don't know if that was from the Daily Mail's reporting, but I think the Daily Mail was the, the original one, the original publication that wrote that he worked for the Clinton campaign. And for those that follow QAnon, QAnon posted a story from your newswire, and he wrote something along the lines of coincidence, you know, meaning coincidence that he was working for the Hillary Clinton campaign. I don't think that Q would have brought that to our attention if he wasn't really working for the Clinton campaign in some capacity. And let's just say if he wasn't. Let's say he was just volunteering or whatever. Does that really matter? Every single person that's associated with Hillary Clinton ends up being a pedophile. Jeffrey Epstein, Anthony Weiner, Kevin Spacey, uh, Harvey Weinstein. Not, I don't want to say he's a pedophile because we haven't really quite heard that yet. But serial child rapist, um, her husband. I mean, Hillary Clinton herself. There's been allegations against her. You know, and so it's like, even if this guy wasn't, who cares what he was doing with the Hillary Clinton campaign? The point is, is that there's a pattern with people that work for Hillary Clinton. John Podesta, hello, how did I miss that one? That one. Um, there's a pattern with people that work for Hillary Clinton, are friends with Hillary Clinton, donate to Hillary Clinton, you know, and run in her tight circles. Many of them end up being pedophiles, okay? And it's like, you know, how many pedophiles do you guys hang out with? Because I don't know of any. I don't hang out with any pedophiles. I don't have any friends who have been arrested for owning child porn. And this seems to be the norm with the Clintons. So it's like, how many times do we see an example like this before we start scratching our ha- our heads and, like, really questioning what is the Clintons' involvement in pedophilia and child sex trafficking? You know, this is just one more example of someone that is now guilty of pedophilia and is associated with the Clintons. Yeah, I mean, there is so much evidence there. There's there's so many uh, uh, things we can point to, pictures, and, and as you said, just the, the associations the Haiti, the alone. Haiti. I mean, Laura Sylvie in Haiti. Yeah. Uh, exactly. I mean, it just never ends. You know, it absolutely never ends. And when do we say enough is enough? And... You know, but the reason why I wanted to talk about this case, you know, I know you guys, you know, have touched a little bit upon it, but, you know, there's, there's so much about this case that epitomizes what's really going on with the pedophilia and the pedophilia and elite circles. So few people really understand how the, the system works, how the pedophilia, the elite pedophile rings work and how the child sex trafficking works. And I've explained it before, but I'll happily explain it again. Yes, pl- pl- please, please do. Be, be, okay. be, because, it, you, know, you know what, Liz, we've picked up a lot of new listeners, and a lot of people are confused about this issue. Just go for it. I'm, and I'm happy to explain it, you know, to anyone that will listen all day long. Because it's so important for people to understand what's going on. So it stops. And these kids are rescued. But, so, 
this guy, his name is Joel Davis. Uh, I'm not sure of his age. I believe he's under 25. So he's 23, very... I think. What'd you say? 22 or 23. Okay, that's okay. 22 or 23. All right. So let's let's look at his bio, his track record. This is a guy who went to an Ivy League school. He worked for the UN. He hung out with Angelina Jolie. He was um, worked for a charity that helps abuse victims. He was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. And what else? Um, he had some association with the Hillary Clinton campaign. Um, and then another association with the, that he had with not only Hillary Clinton, but her campaign is he spoke at John Podesta's foundation. And we all we all know that John Podesta is a child sex trafficking pedophile. And so this guy, before the age of 25, Ivy League schools, he's like nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize, he's working with the UN. This guy was being fast-tracked to success, all right? Like, I mean, I expose pedophiles for a living. I risk my life to do it. I haven't been nominated for any awards for the work I'm doing. This guy was trying to arrange to have sex with a freaking infant. And this guy has been lauded by the media, by the deep state, as a hero. He has walked red carpets. He's hung out with A-list celebrities. He's hung out with politicians. He's been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. And this guy was trying to rape a six-month-old baby. And so what I'm trying to understand here is that they... When I say they, I'm talking about the deep state. I'm talking about, you know, the pedophile Satanists. I'm talking about the cabal. They strategically choose people who are pedophiles, people who have skeletons in their closet, and they choose them because they're vulnerable, they can be manipulated, they can be blackmailed. The bigger the pedophile you are, the better. You will be, they will put you on your pathway to the presidency. They will make you secretary of state. They will make you the campaign manager for Hillary Clinton. The bigger pedophile you are, the better. It is not a coincidence that this guy was fast-tracked to success. That's how it works in the land of elite pedophiles. The bigger skeletons you have in your closet, the bigger the demon you are, the bigger pedophile you are, congratulations, you will be fast-tracked past everyone else. That is how it works. And this guy is a perfect example of that. No coincidence that, you know, he was lauded in the media by so many people as this distinguished person who should win awards. Meanwhile, he's sharing child porn, porn of adults raping babies. And I emphasize babies. These are not people that are trying to hook up with teenage girls that look like they're 25. They are trying to rape six-month-old babies. It's disturbing on many levels. I, I, just point of clarification, Liz. I agree with everything you say. I just want. I just want a point of clarification. Uh, John Podesta has not been convicted of any child pedophilia or anything like that. Convicted in the court of law. That, that is my opinion. Right. 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 And Andrew Breitbart's opinion. Right. And many other opinions based off yeah. of his emails, but we don't have to get into yeah, that. Right. But I just, you know, but 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 this is so disturbing. What you mentioned. I just found that, 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 that this whole story, it, this 22, 23 year old. Yeah, how does that happen? He's so young. Um, well, beyond, beyond that, but, 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 you know, being lauded like he is and, and raised up like he is, it just seems so out of place, even if he was not accused of what he was doing. It just, it, but, but, wow, okay. 
I don't well, know. Someone like me who understands how the, the the rings work, how the systems work, and the behavior of these monsters, these sociopaths, this this is actually a cookie cutter example of a deep state elite pedophile. Like right. this was act, he had all the attributes. You know, just by going on his Instagram page, if someone had shown me his Instagram page without telling me anything about him, I would have been able to pick up on many clues indicating that he could be involved in pedophilia. They all use the same symbolism. They all kind of talk the same way. Like there's, there's certain characteristics that you can pick up on um, that that identify them as, as as pedophiles. Like, you know, they use code words. They use symbolism. Like there's a lot of – they give themselves away. If you know what to look for, you can – you know, find the people that are predators, and um, it's no coincidence that he, you know, I believe he was adopted, so he probably went through the foster care system. I wouldn't be surprised if the kid was born into a child sex trafficking ring. That's very common. Um, unfortunately, most people who were victims go on to be abusers themselves, so I wouldn't be surprised if he was abused. You know, he has a lot of the characteristics that a lot of these victims who turn into predators have. So I, you know, I, when I when I read about him, I wasn't surprised at all. This was just like this was a standard cookie cutter. Well, Liz, know. let me ask you this: Usually, these people we see are protected from law enforcement. Uh, yeah. All too often, we see that the, the high up people, if there is not evidence that some honest person exposes about them, then it, it's usually swept under the rug as much as possible. What was it about this? Was it? That the right FBI undercover FBI agent was working on it, or what was it about this case that uh, they were able to successfully um, make it stick so that that this guy was exposed and his crimes were uh, detailed? Well, there's only one reason why he was arrested, and that's because President Trump's in office and Hillary Clinton isn't. I I, Bingo. I bet my life that none of these people, including Harvey Weinstein, would be arrested if it wasn't for President Trump. You know, I've been saying this for like almost two full years now, President Trump started going after the pedophiles before he was even sworn in. Like he gave the authorities the green light to go after the pedophiles. And let me tell you, I've talked to many people, I have a lot of sources, they have been told to stand down on a lot of these cases. You know, and what are we seeing with the FBI? We now know how corrupt the FBI is and, and has been. So it's no coincidence that now that, that President Trump is cleaning out the FBI and all the rogue, the bad people, the bad agents, the bad actors are are slowly leaving. People are resigning. People are getting fired. You know, deals are being made behind the scenes. It's just no coincidence that all these bad actors, that all these bad actors are getting weeded out. And now all of a sudden we have the Nexium child sex trafficking cult being shut down. We have Backpage being shut down. We have this sicko being arrested. You know, it's not a coincidence that the Jeffrey Epstein FBI files have been released, all because of President Trump. Like, he is the only reason why all of this is happening. None of this would be happening if it wasn't for President Trump. Hillary Clinton protects pedophiles. Hillary Clinton has been protecting pedophiles her entire life. She defended a pedophile as a lawyer, and she blamed the little girl who was brutally raped so badly that she's not able to have children. I believe her yep. name was Kathy Shelton. Uh, she was left in a coma. You know, I, like you know, I'm like, I have lawyer friends who are like, oh, but you know, like she had no choice. She had to take the case. The case you know, no, you you do have a choice. Okay, there, there you, there's enough money in the world that you could pay me to defend a pedophile. 
You could, I, I'd rather die to tell you the truth. I would, there's no amount of money in the world you could pay me to defend a pedophile. I understand that, that they, that they need attorneys and it's their right to have an attorney. I personally could never do it. She had a choice. She chose not only to defend the pedophile, she went after the victim. She further terrorized the victim, blaming it on a child, like you asked for it. I mean, she, her whole life, she's had a whole career of defending pedophiles and sexual predators like her husband. So, you know, that's what these people that are tied to the deep state do. And they love the pedophiles because the pedophiles can be blackmailed, they can be manipulated, they can be controlled. The, the cabal loves people who are weak, who have vulnerabilities to the people who are addicts, people who you know have skeletons in their closet, people who are cheating on their wives. Those people can be manipulated, they can be blackmailed. They love propping up people like that. And the worse crime in your closet, the better. Because that means you're less likely to stray from the narrative that they want you to push. And that's how the game is played. Period. Okay, Liz, and and for those people not in the know, is that what Epstein Island was about to, were the recordings made, the high-profile people brought down there? Yes, from my research, you know, and everything I've read, I believe that, I don't believe that this was his private island. I believe he had funding, probably from the CIA, this deep state, in some way, shape, or form. And yes, I do believe it was a sting operation. It was an operation to set up powerful people to blackmail them. You know, now Jeffrey Epstein has been convicted of pedophilia. He has paid off victims um, that were underage that he sexually assaulted. All right, so we know that he's a pedophile. We know that he was trafficking kids. Like that's not a secret. There are court documents that can prove that. The media has covered up for him because they love covering for pedophiles. You know, but um, th- that's a fact, okay? So we know that, you know, he's involved in this stuff, too, and he's into this this hor- horrific, creepy stuff as well. But, you know, I just don't believe he's some creepy guy that was doing this on his own. Like, you know, there's a lot. There's been a lot of people that, you know, have kind of talked about where did he get all this money to, you know, own a private island? Like, you know, apparently he works on, I think, Wall Street, and he made a decent amount of money, but not enough to, like, have such a lavish lifestyle, the private jets, the private island, it just kind of like doesn't make sense, you know. Um, and that's what the deep state does. They, they will, they will, you know, the people that they can be, con- that can be controlled, the people that will be their slaves, the people that will do their dirty work for them, you know, set up politicians from around the world, blackmail them, set them in rooms, drug them, you know, set them up to make it look like they're raping kids if they're not into that. Unfortunately, some people have no problem doing that set them up in rooms, uh, videotape them, and then they these people are blackmailed for life. You know, Jeff, the deep state, they, they seek out people like Jeffrey Epstein that will do this kind of dirty work for them. And, um, you know, you'll notice that there's a lot of people that become, like, CEOs or, like, out of nowhere, they'll get, like, billions of dollars for, like, some product they created or or some company that they've developed that that goes nowhere, that makes no money. Right. It makes no sense. Like, how did this person become a billionaire? How did this person become the CEO of this company? Like, there's, you know, but that's what they do. They'll, they'll just throw money at any at anyone that, you know, could play a, a good role, a good part in a movie, and will do their dirty work for them. And I believe Jeff Epstein was the perfect guy. Wow. 
Okay. And, and thank you for that clarification and explanation because a lot of people have you know, different, differing viewpoints and, um, very, very concise, very succinct. Um, all right. So, and I, by the way, I, I do agree. I, I'm seeing more and more arrests, and this is not just coverage, but more arrests of, of, uh, child porn, purveyors of child porn because of Donald Trump. I sense Donald Trump. And I believe it's because of Donald Trump. Um, so I, with you hundred percent there, what do you, where do you want to go from here? I guess, uh, let me toss it back to you here. Anything on your, on your radar right at the moment? Well, I mean, the, the other thing that's okay. So obviously that was a horrific, you know, example of, I believe a deep state pedophile who's now been arrested and unfortunately, there's many, many more of, of people like him out there ro- roaming the streets who haven't been arrested mm. yet. Um, but the other thing that's really been bothering me and that a lot of people like don't understand and they're very confused about is that we have a Democratic Party, you know, currently calling to abolish ICE. All right. Yeah. ICE is the main federal agency that breaks up child sex trafficking rings. They break up child sex trafficking rings. They arrest pedophiles. And you have whack jobs, Cynthia Nixon, calling for them to be abolished. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, (laughs) this is the main agency that arrests child rapists. And she wants them to be abolished? Like, what is the Democratic Party's platform now? Is it just, is it just pro pedophilia? Like, pro child sex trafficking? Yep. I mean, it is, and this is where, you know, people get a little confused about this, too. And I, I talk about this constantly. People often say to me, you know, being a pedophile isn't a Democratic or Republican thing. Well, okay, there are, that's true in the sense that there are Republicans who end up being pedophiles, like I've done a pastor, and then we have Democrats who, who end up being pedophiles as well. Like, there are pedophiles in, in all groups and parties and whatnot. But what people don't understand it's that the Democratic policy issues are enabling child sex trafficking, are enabling pedophiles, are pushing, they are pushing literally the pedophile agenda. The open borders, the refugee crisis, the legal immigration, no border wall, abolish ICE. You are just like making it so easy, Democrats, for people to traffic kids. And And so... If we can, just real quick, the... uh... Uh, the news media and one and their stories today were very quick to th- throw the Trump administration under the bus for not reuniting all the children, uh, as they say, back to their parents, while leaving out the fact that many of those children came with people who weren't their parents, that came with people who were child traffickers, human traffickers, and who were security risks. But they don't ever talk about that, and people no. don't equate the the uh, open border policies to uh, pro human trafficking policies. At the same yeah. time, and they don't they don't relate those two, but it's a very important distinction that you made. Exactly, and you're spot on. You're absolutely right about that. The mainstream media covers all this up. So you have Obama under the Obama administration, tens of thousands of kids separate from their families, and you had outlets like I believe it was the New York Times, maybe the Post, but I believe it was the New York Times, wrote a whole piece on how all of these kids that came here illegally ended up with child sex traffickers. Okay, you have like the, like a, the, the most left-wing publication saying that this happened under Obama. Tens of thousands, not 2,000 or a few hundred, tens of thousands kids being separated 
from their parents, their their parents during the Obama years. Mm-hmm. No one bats an eye. No one flinches. No one cares. And all of a sudden, there's what? Allegedly, there's 2,000 kids separated from their parents. And by the way, under Obama, they were kept in cages, not under Trump. That's right. And now, you know, under Trump, there's, I think, the report is 2,000. Yeah, 10,000 came without their their parents. There's 12,000 kids, 10,000 without parents, 2,000 with adults. Liz, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but we're absolutely out of time. LizCroken.com is the website, at LizCroken on Twitter. Thank you so much for your time Thank you, Liz. Good seeing you again. Nice seeing you as well. May God bless. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Network break, and we'll be right back. edition of the Hagman Report. We have Brandon House who's going to be joining us, and he's got a very interesting update uh, on a story that he's been working on. Uh, deals with Russia, deals with the Vatican, deals with immigration, and the destruction of the West. Similar to what, if you were with us with, last night with Stan Deo, he opened up with an article. I'm going to pull this article up here so I have it for reference when Brandon comes on. But it dealt with the uh, Vatican, the top Vatican banker who had come out and talked about the Vatican's desire to usher in a new world order and through immigration and a whole number of other things, but that this was their desire and this is what is being implemented. And this ties in very nicely to what Brandon's going to come on and talk about as we have uh, new information, separate information, even confirming what the ex-Vatican, head of the Vatican Bank has said. So uh, we're going to bring him on, and his website is World worldviewweekend.com where I always want to I always want to transpose the weekend worldview worldview weekend worldviewweekend.com and that, and that's on Twitter at WVW online. You know and uh, J- John has done such a great job. Cliff Kincaid is going to be our guest here uh shortly. Uh, he's going to join us Friday July 13th in hour 1 courtesy of Brandon House and Worldview Weekend. Um he just had Cliff Kincaid on as well. So it's it's really it's it's, it's cool. It's Good stuff. All right. But yesterday, that piece, uh, if you go to the, the lifesitenews.com or if you just go to Stan Dale's show images page, this was the piece that we talked about yesterday. Former Vatican Bank chief, authors of New World Order, demographic collapse influencing the Vatican. And this is only from a few days ago. And it talks about the creation uh, in order to usher in the conditions for a New World Order at the highest levels of government and at the Vatican at the highest levels. This according to the former president of the Vatican Bank. He was speaking at the first international conference of the John Paul II Academy for Human Life and the Family. And he goes on to talk about uh, the destruction of the family, the destruction of society, and the ushering in of a, a new world order system where they have this environmental Gnostic religious belief. And he goes on to talk about... Uh, the unthinkable here. He says, it's the unthinkable decision that the makers of the United States and around the world did not know that they would have, what they would have created by refusing life and natural law. He goes on to say that because couples are not having enough children, they're not having enough to provide economic growth. Zero growth is two children for a couple. Zero growth is substitution. That leaves no GDP growth. So in order to uh, fix that problem, they said they need to 
uh, use immigrants and, and uh, bring people from other populated areas into other societies, but it's creating a societal problem. And this is the systematic destruction of our culture uh, through immigration. And again, uh, Brandon has a different angle completely from the, this article that we're talking about on this problem. And also it involves Vladimir Putin and Russia and their involvement in this whole situation. So, Brandon, it's great to have you back on. It's great to be with you guys. Thank you so much. We were just, uh, I was referencing an article uh, that Stan Dale brought to our attention last night. Former Vatican Bank chief, authors of New World Order, Demographic Collapse Influencing the Vatican. It talks about flooding the West, uh, Europe, and the United States with immigration to destroy their societies, uh, to be able to make it easier to, to usher in a economic uh, and other global New World Order. And it talks about people at the highest level of the Vatican, the U.S. government, the United Nations, and, and other uh, you know, business Hollywood and, and just elite institutions across the world are pushing for this goal. And at the end, it is an environmental Gnosticism-type religion that they want as their one-world religion to go along with their one-world system. But you have an interesting piece that you broke uh, yesterday uh, dealing with this, looking at this from another angle. Uh, which piece? I've, I've, we've broken so many the last few days. Tell me which one. The, the one, the the piece about uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, oh, yeah. immigration. Yeah. Okay. Yes, there's a great report over the Center for Security Policy by Mr. Nyquist and a, and a, and a lady there uh, that came out just a few weeks ago that I've been referencing uh, that there's strong evidence that what was going on in Syria and the bombing in Syria was all about pushing Muslim refugees out of Syria, pushing them then and creating this uh, immigration crisis, this humanitarian crisis, and pushing them out of Syria and then into Europe, and then from Europe into America. And it's part of Vladimir Putin's plan to use Islam to bring down America. And, uh, in fact, in their report, they go on all the way back to about 1918, where they're quoting um, communist uh, leaders talking about using Islam uh, as a method of warfare. So using the Muslims basically as their junkyard dogs to do their job. Now we've been saying that for a long time. Uh, people that have followed our broadcast know that for several years we've been saying that we believe that the Marxists were using the Muslims as their junkyard dogs to go after their enemies. And now there's even more proof that that is the case. And what we need to understand is that ultimately what is at play here is the destruction of Europe and because again and America because Vladimir Putin it is said is very much out for revenge against those that brought down the Soviet Union uh, or damaged the Soviet Union and so he's out for revenge but even if that is not the case let's say that thesis is not even true what he is after is to rebuild Mother Russia and he's working with many of the Islamic breakaway republics and he's trying to rebuild Mother Russia this guy don't forget was KGB he is still a hardline communist. And we talk about an information operation, brainwashing, propaganda. When it comes to the Vietnam War, uh, we know that one of the highest ranking, the highest ranking uh, GRU intelligence officer, GRU is the military intelligence arm of the KGB, he came to America, the highest ranking military intelligence officer of the USSR, to defect, came to America, and in the 90s he wrote a book called Through the Eyes of, it, of the Enemy that we've talked about before. And he says that the former Soviet Union, then at the time the USSR, spent a billion dollars on information operation in the U.S. to turn the hearts of Americans against uh, defeating the communists in Vietnam. And so clearly that happened with the help of people like Walter Cronkite, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Morley Safer, uh, the list would go on and on. So that happened. That occurred. Jane Fonda. Now what we're seeing is 
uh, America being flooded. Listen now, folks, pay attention. Now we see a crisis that's largely been set up by Russia, the communists, and the Muslims, and the United Nations. And so I believe they were working in concert. Now, by the way, the United Nations is dominated by the Muslims and the Marxists. Go look that up. It's clear. They're dominated by the Marxists and the Muslims. And so you now have Putin supposedly creating a crisis in Syria, bombing and helping to bomb and helping that crisis spin out of control, creating a humanitarian crisis. Now you have refugees flooding out of that area. They're coming over, they're coming over into Europe. From Europe, UN is picking them up and dumping them in America. Under Obama, there were contracts of over a billion dollars, I think for just one year was a billion dollars, to go to, quote, Christian organizations and ministries to uh, welcome the stranger in the foreign land and all the other verses from Leviticus 19 and Matthew 25. They completely take out of context. That has nothing to do with immigration. And so now you have a team of people working together. Vladimir Putin, communist. United Nations, dominated by the communists and the Marxists. The Islamists obviously want to get here and take down America. So you can see the, the players all working together to bring down their shared enemy of America. And of course, was Obama a friend to America? No. And so this all happened under his plan, and it all goes back to a United Nations plan in its totality. But one thing I want to make sure I, I uh, help people understand is, I've been doing a worldview class on Sunday nights uh, on our website uh, at 8 p.m. Central Time. And the last few weeks, we've had four to 5,000 people streaming that worldview class live. And what we've been talking about is Grave Influence, a book I wrote 10 years ago. And I'm updating it in, through this TV series I'm doing for free on Sunday nights at 8 o'clock. And it's called Grave Influence, 21 Radicals and Their Worldviews Ruling America from the Grave. And if they want to follow it, they can. Uh, they can They can follow us on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash Worldview Weekend. Uh, they can follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is at WVW Online. Uh, if they want to get a text alert and a link to watch our Sunday night show, all they got to do is text WVW to 88202. Just text WVW to 88202, and we'll send you a reminder and a link to watch. Now, what I covered with our class, again, four to 5,000 people participating live on Sunday night at 8 o'clock this past Sunday, were the six main worldviews ruling the world. And what folks need to understand is that there has been the goal to destroy America for a long time. In fact, Julian Huxley at the United Nations said that the task is to help the emergence of a single world culture. He wanted world government. That was, I think, in 1946. Then we have uh, people like Miguel Gorbachev and many others calling for a new world religion and that the new world religion would be based largely on environmentalism, radical environmentalism. So what we need to understand is that our enemies are using any crisis they can come up with, whether it's a humanitarian crisis, an economic crisis, an um, uh, environmental crisis. They're using whatever crisis they can to bring about world government. And who's largely behind it? Various United Nations agencies. So whether it's sustainable development, known as Agenda 21, now known as Agenda 2030, part of the United Nations Earth Summit in Rio, that uh, Stephen Rockefeller, Miguel Gorbachev, Maurice Strong were all part of, or whether it's using the crisis in Syria, uh, I believe all of these groups are united in their desire to destroy America. In fact, it was Maurice Strong who said this, quote, quote, isn't the only hope for the planet that the industrialized civilizations collapse? Isn't it our responsibility to bring that about? And then we had another quote by a uh, scientist, Helen Colcott, who said free enterprise really means rich people get richer. They have the freedom to exploit and psychologically rape their fellow human beings in the process. 
Capitalism is destroying the earth. So when we look at the six main worldviews that are ruling the world, and I can get into those if you'd like, we see that Marxism and communism are two of them. And these groups are united, these Marxist and communist, and many of them also are into socialism, the economic philosophy of Karl Marx. A globalist or an internationalist is really just a communist on a, on a global scale. You can have national socialism, like Adolf Hitler, the National Socialist Workers' Party, or you can have international socialism. Well, globalism is international socialism. Socialism is the economic philosophy of Karl Marx. So notice all these groups have one thing in common, the destruction of America. And they've got to create a crisis and then offer up the solution to be more government or socialism and then point out who is it that's opposing radical environmentalism. Who's opposing the flood of immigrants coming in here? Capitalists and Christians. Who's to blame for the environmental crisis? Christians, and I can tell you how they say that. Every crisis they create, they then turn around and say, the people to blame are the Christians and the capitalists. But the whole time they're creating a crisis to destroy America. Yeah, and you know, it's ha happening. We were talking about this today on the Daily Show. We have, we, we are in a time now where every institution of, of authority is of the same, you know, communist, satanic mindset. And they are just moving at a breakneck pace uh, at, at self-destruction. And whether it's, uh, as you said, the created crisis that's coming, but also the technological revolution, which they are going to roll out as part of this New World Order, one world uh, religious, economic, and, and political system, is that everybody uh, you know, becomes part of this merger with machines, or at least be able to, to have a device implanted in, in them to where they're cataloged. Uh, and that takes care of the, what Revelation says about no man might buy or sell unless he has the mark. Uh, or uh, the name or the number of the beast, but this is a multi-generational, uh, you know, multi-hundred-year plan, two-hundred-year plan. Who knows how long? Six-thousand-year plan, if we're looking at it from the spiritual point of view, to destroy not only uh, the West, but most importantly, the the last uh, uh, baskets of of where Christianity was flourishing. And they have been able to do that through the economy, through these institutions, and now the news media, Hollywood entertainment industry are all of this, this satanic mindset, and it's just a non-stop attack, and, and uh, we can fight back in little areas here and there, but it seems like we're getting engulfed in just the overall systems, uh, and, and, and you know, what can we do, Brandon? What can we do to, to turn this around? Well, I think one of the things we need to do, whether we can win this, uh, and, I'm, you know, and I'm hopeful that we can here in America, we can certainly, if not win it nationally, we can maybe win it regionally, or win it uh, with our individual homes, families, friends, uh, hopefully churches, although many of the churches that we've discussed before are now buying into this big time, and I think you're going to start seeing more and more of them getting government money, foundation money, to push this, and that'll be their new revenue source. As, as baby boomers get older and die off, their new revenue source won't be the older crowd coming to church. It'll be the millennials. To attract the millennials, they're going to have to do social justice, and they'll get paid to do social justice, uh, environmentalism, uh, programs by wealthy liberal foundations as well as government programs. We discussed in our last program, I think we did here, that uh, we found a report from the Economist magazine that 62% of the gov uh, money that comes to the Catholic charities, 62% comes from local, state, and federal governments. So you're going to see more of a cooperation between uh, local governments, state governments, or, or what really, and, and United Nations and foundations, or what Rick Warren calls the three-legged stool, government, Corporations in the social sector, i.e. churches. So one of the things we have to do is understand what is the worldview war going on. And that's why I started this worldview class running through July and August on Sunday nights. And again, we had four to 5,000 people live streaming it 
uh, this past Sunday night. And I, and I went into the six worldviews that rule the world. Now, there are more than six worldviews. But guys, I'm guessing that most Americans don't know what these six worldviews are, much less how they play out in the area of law, science, economics, history, family, uh, social issues. But let me list those six worldviews real quick. And to answer your question, what can we do? You have got to understand this is a worldview war. And you can't win it individually with your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, your friends, a college students, high school students, young adults, unless you know what the worldviews are. And they are the following. Biblical Christianity, uh, secular humanism, uh, cosmic humanism, also known as the New Age movement, uh, postmodernism, and then finally you would have Islam and Marxism. Now let me just start real quick. Biblical Christianity, give you just a quick overview, real quick. Biblical Christianity obviously says that in the beginning God created. So you believe in creation through the spoken word. Uh, you believe there's a natural world and there's a spiritual world. You believe that at the point of death, your soul lives on in either heaven or hell through either rejecting Christ or through faith and repentance coming to Christ. Uh, it's a free gift lest any man should boast. By grace you're saved. By, it is by grace through faith you're saved, not of yourself, lest any man should boast. So there's an eternal spiritual world, but there's also a natural world. There's absolute truth governed by the character and nature of God as revealed in his word, the Bible. So this is basically your uh, biblical worldview for uh, the Christian worldview framework. Then you would go to secular humanism. Secular humanism says there is no spiritual world. There's only the natural world. You die, that's it. There is no God. They're atheistic, and therefore they believe there is no God. That's what atheism is about. There is no God. So there's no God because there's no spiritual world. There's only the natural world. You die, and that's it. Since there is no spiritual world and there is no God, you are your own God. Whatever you do in this life, do it. It doesn't matter. There will be no e uh, eternal consequences because at the point of death, that's it. Lights out, you're dead. Man does not have a soul. So secular humanism says there's only the natural world. There is no God. There are no absolute truth. You die, that's it. Then the next one is the New Age movement or cosmic humanism, represented mostly by people like Oprah Winfrey or Eckhart Tolle or Al Gore, and we could go on and on. New Age cosmic humanism says there's a spiritual world and there is a natural world but that the natural world is simply an illusion. And so you need to be involved in things like transcendental meditation. That's an old practice with a new name today called, uh, it's, it's really yoga is the yeah, old practice. Yoga is the old practice. Transcendental meditation is the new name for an old practice. And you need to be involved in yoga and enter the spiritual world and make the natural world dissolve. By the way, I have an article from the editor of Hinduism Today who openly admits that if you're a Christian and you're going to do yoga as it's designed to be done by the, by the yogis, that it will disrupt your Christian beliefs. Now, this is the editor of Hinduism today. And yoga means yoga union in Sanskrit. So, And why would you want yoga union with a Hindu god? So, uh, cosmic humanism or New Age says there's a spiritual world, there's a natural world, the natural world is an illusion, and you need to enter the spiritual world, tap into your subconscious mind, discover your godhood, your deity, the spark of deity inside of you, and then when you die, you either are reincarnated up or you're reincarnated down. And they generally always talk about the positive side of reincarnation in the Western world. You're going to go up, you become a spirit or master guide, and of course, these spirit or master guides now are consulting people. Alice Bailey, who influenced Robert Mueller at the United Nations, wrote over 10,000 pages, many books, and she influenced Robert Mueller, who was Assistant Secretary General of the UN, added more divisions to the UN than anyone. Alice Bailey openly was consulting a demon by the name of the Tibetan. But she's not going to tell you it's a demon. She believed it was someone more highly evolved through the process of reincarnation. But the Bible says appointed to every man to die once and then face the judgment. So what she was talking with was a demon. 
a fallen angel. And so they believe at the point of death you go up or down based on the life you've lived. So this is cosmic humanism, new age. Then your other alternative is Islam. I think we all know how Islam works, and it fits very well with communism, by the way, because one of the pillars of Islam is social justice. I don't know if people know that. This is one reason why the communists openly admit they can work with the Muslims, because they believe in social justice, i.e. the economic philosophy of Karl Marx, socialism. So I think most folks know what uh, Islam is. Then you have postmodernism. Postmodernism is one of the dominant worldviews today, created by largely the founders would be Frederick Nietzsche, who said God is dead and we can smell his rotting corpse, and Michael Foucault, Michael Foucault being a French philosopher, uh, who actually uh, believed in a whole new level of exhilaration that he called sex, a murder by sex. He was infected with AIDS and liked to infect his lovers with AIDS without them knowing it, and this was the pervert known as Michael Foucault. By the way, two of the most read authors in college campus today are the founders of postmodern thought, Frederick Nietzsche and Michael Foucault, which says truth and reality are created by man, not by God. By the way, uh, Frederick Nietzsche said they needed, we needed to spiritualize cruelty. Spiritualize cruelty. So cruelty was a good thing. He also believed in master morality and slave morality, and the Christians and the conservatives would make the best slaves because they're stupid idiots that believe in absolute truth and compassion for the sick and the infirmed. Whereas we should just let survival of the fittest kick in and, and let them die. So because of the stupid values of the Christians and the capitalists, the conservatives, they believe in absolute truth, they believe in compassion for the sick and the infirmed, they're stupid, thus they make good slaves. And so Frederick Nietzsche openly talked about master morality and slave morality. And then your final worldview is Marxism, that of Karl Marx. And you go read the Communist Manifesto and you'll see we've accomplished most of it in America today is going global. So these are your six dominant worldviews. Most people, now there are more than six, but these are your six dominant. Most people have no clue. No, most people have no clue. By the way, secular humanism was all the rage in the 40s and the 50s and a little bit of the 60s, and it was often talked about in the 70s. And a lot of people were talking about secular humanism in the 70s. Well, they were behind the curve. They didn't realize that secular humanism was quickly being replaced by cosmic humanism or New Age, Oprah Winfrey. Why? Because secular humanism said you could find truth through human reason. You could solve the world's problems through human reason. Well, that didn't work out too well. That created two devastating world wars. Plus, we are spiritual beings, so people want a spiritual salve for their guilty conscience. Why are they guilty? Because they know the moral law is written on their heart and their mind, and they're guilty, and they know it. Romans 1, 2, and 3 describes that. So they're looking for a spiritual salve to soothe their guilty conscience, and they are spiritual, so they're looking for a spiritual experience. Secular humanism has basically died out. Cosmic humanism, New Age, Oprah Winfrey, that's the dominant worldview. And that fits right in with Mother Earth, worship of Mother Earth, Gaia Earth worship, pantheism, all is God, panentheism, God is in all, worship of nature. Now you bring in the United Nations and say, we need to have Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, sustainable development, deal with environmental issue because of Mother Earth. Well, that fits really well with a, with a world population that's now kicked into Hinduism, Buddhism, New Age, Confucianism, and all these other uh, spiritualities that are running all over the planet. But all of these groups can work together, however they have to, to defeat their shared enemy, biblical Christians, and largely the Jewish people. Biblical Christians, conservatives, and the Jewish people. And we see that's exactly what, of course, Adolf Hitler did. And <laughs> you are exactly, you know, Joe, I, I didn't mean to punch in here, but I gotta say, I could listen to you all, all day long. The, the information that, that you are, are giving is so critical. The history, Brandon. I, look, just keep going, brother. Uh, aside from what Joe's going to say or ask, uh, just keep going. This people need to hear this. 
to me, um, if this was a crime scene, if the world is a crime scene, and I believe it is, you are bringing forth evidence, critical, direct, as well as indirect evidence, to the jury, the peers, the conservatives of the world, the Christians of the world, and you're doing it in such a concise manner. I cannot. So thank you for doing this. I only said that because I really want people to really understand the importance of what you're saying. Well, you're you're very kind, and I would say that our biggest opposition comes from quote Christians. Thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. We are lied about all the time by quote Christians. We're lied about by quote elders. We have people who are elders and pastors and evangelists that lie about us all the time. Lie, lie, lie. Why? I don't know. I think it's spiritual. Ephesians six. It's a spiritual battle. So some of the biggest opposition we receive are from so-called Christians. And so I think that really just shows you the spiritual nature of what we're facing, that this is a spiritual battle, as you referred to. Genesis 3, you know, Satan in the form of a serpent says to Eve, you'll be like God, you know, humanism. You'll know right from wrong. Enter into some kind of esoteric, uh, hidden area or space to discern what is truth. By the way, the New Age openly admits, Marilyn Ferguson, one of the New Age writers, openly admitted years ago the purpose of LSD in our country was to get people to open up their channels and have a religious experience. The whole purpose of marijuana and LSD and acid in the 60s and uh, tune in, turn on, drop out, that whole concept and idea uh, was all about reaching and understanding your deity. It was about new age spirituality. And if you had to take an, uh, a drug like marijuana to have an altered state of consciousness to discover your godhood or your deity or to meet a spirit or master guide, which is a demon, who will help you on that path like Alice Bailey did or Helen Shookman did. Helen Shookman, by the way, is who I'll deal with in my class this coming Sunday night at 8 o'clock. She wrote A Course in Miracles. That's the Bible of the New Age. She also was channeling a demon by the name of Jesus. It was a fake a fake Jesus. It was a demon posing as Jesus. That when she was at Columbia University, channeled this book to her, and she wrote it in shorthand, and one of her professor friends typed it up. And The Course in Miracles is the Bible of the New Age. Well, we'd be shocked that Oprah Winfrey turned around and taught this. But the most popular way to meet a spirit or master guide is through drugs or hypnosis. And the whole purpose of these things was to have a religious experience. And for those who didn't want to do drugs in the 60s, then comes the Maharishi who says, well, you don't have to do drugs, just be involved in transcendental meditation, i.e. yoga, and make the natural world dissolve and enter the spiritual realm. And by the way, I have a video of a KGB agent. This is fascinating. I have a video of a KGB agent that came to America and defected in the 1980s. He says the communists were quite excited that the American people were getting tuned in to yoga and transcendental meditation. Because the whole thing about yoga and transcendental meditation is don't pay attention to what House is saying. Don't pay attention to what Hagman and Hagman are saying. That will that will kill your buds. That will disrupt your flow. That will be negative energy. Don't pay attention to these world events that destroys your negative energy flow. Don't listen. <laughs> and so people don't. And the communist former KGB officer said, we were very happy that the Maharishi had come to America he went as a former KGB officer at the time, he was KGB, to meet with him to find out more about him. But he said, we were really happy in the USSR that you guys, Americans, were doing this because you were being told, don't think about the negative, don't listen to the news, don't care about world events. So your people were dumbed down and stupid while we took over. So again, you can see these groups all working together to help each other, whether it's the New Agers being used by the communists, the communists using the Muslims, they're all they're all working yep. together, and now they've converged together as one. Brandon, I want to thank you so much. Worldviewweekend.com is the website. Thank you so much for your time. We are out of time. We're at the break. We'll be right back after this. 
<laughs> oh, for those people listening on Global Star, you've got no idea what goes on behind the scenes. Or YouTube, or anywhere for that matter. Or, or so yeah, I don't think whatever. Uh, well, breaks get, get uh, publicized. <laughs> kind of a non-start start there, you know. Uh, folks, welcome to this edition of the Hagman Report. Uh, I, I, I just don't even know how to describe. You'd have to, if, if there was like a surveillance camera in here, um, you'd understand. Aside from that, you wouldn't understand. Uh, we, we, we just had to finish up a uh, really great segment with uh, Brandon House. And uh, today's one for the record books, let me tell you. Uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 that's all i got to say. All right. Take care of some business. Now, two hours, about two hours ago, there uh, uh, an article went up on the Hagman Report. Two, two hours ago. This is fantastic. By Peter Barry Chaka. Special thank you to Peter Barry Chaka, by the way. And Eric Bowling is back with his new show, America on CRTV. Now, you know about Eric Bowling. You know what happened to him. You know the crap that this man took. You know, well, I, I'm sure you do. And if you don't, you can certainly search it. His son passed away. Um,. The, the attack on the conservative media, Eric Bowling could be the poster man for that in, in so many ways and from so many angles. So I want to offer a special thank you, a special Hagman Report thank you to Eric Bowling, number one, who retweeted Peter Barry Chalka's recent article at the Hagman Report titled, again, Eric Bowling is back with his new show, America on CRTV. Now you can read Peter's new article, and can follow Peter's prolific work at HagmanReport.com and at P. Chalka on Twitter. Folks, follow Eric Bowling. He does, he, I mean, he doesn't need you to, but if you look at his tweets, uh, good stuff. His Twitter handle is at Eric Bowling. And by the way, Peter delivers media analysis and political commentary every Monday on the Hagman Report from 9 to 10 Eastern Time, third hour. He's a um, certainly a, a, a tremendous asset to the show, and we want to thank him for that. But just how quickly things happen, and Eric Bowling picked right up on that on that uh, on that uh, on, on that, that article, which was which Peter tweeted out, and it's just amazing. Um, the reason this is important, very simply is the conservative media is launching its counter-offensive. And we need to do this. We need to stand up. We need to launch this counter-offensive. And if we don't back the people launching the counter-offensive, then what good are we? Sunday, this past Sunday, we had a, a meeting of our supporters. Folks, this show essentially will be 100%. I, I, I Listen to me carefully. 100% listener-supported. I've been dealing the last three days with some issues, sponsored issues and such, 
we're not going to sell out to the corporate media. We never will. We're not going to be told what to say. But the writing's on the wall. The reason I mention that is we had a Patreon meeting um, this past Sunday, and what what it is is just a kind of a kind of a fireside chat with with the with the, our supporters. It's usually the first Sunday of every month at 7 p.m. Eastern, usually. But because of the July 4th holiday, we got so many emails, people traveling, they asked if we could put it off a week. We did. But always check the website, hagmanreport.com, for that. The reason I brought this up, number one, to thank those who support this show. Number two, to thank Pastor David Langford for being part of Sunday's show. Q&A. Uh, the information that he provides is, is second to none. The spiritual benefit, because we're in a spiritual war, there's no doubt in my mind that we're, that, I mean, it, how else can I say it? we're in a spiritual war? When you've got abortion glam, uh, glamorized, the, the killing of the unborn glamorized, not just by the putrid alleged comedian Michelle Wolf, but others and to hear the applause to that glorification I don't know what bothers me more the words that come out of the mouth of Michelle Wolf or the audience applause it's sad you know John Adams said that the Constitution was made for a moral and religious citizenry. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Suitable for no other. You wonder why we've got problems today. It's immoral, amoral. It's not even atheistic. It's a hatred of God. But I want to just publicly thank uh, Pastor David Langford for for coming on. With he, he didn't have to do that. He's so giving of his time, and he's so giving of his not just time on well, his time here as well on on Wednesdays. Joe, I'm going to toss it to you. Well, no further introduction is is needed. Let's bring on Pastor Langford. Pastor Langford, it's great to have you back on the show. Where do you want to start tonight? Well, I thought we'd look at a passage in Ephesians chapter 4 and begin at verse 18 having the understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation or lifestyle the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That is probably a 
years worth of preaching in those few verses, but let's just take a quick look and see if we can glean from what Paul the Apostle was declaring and what's coinciding with our world today. Paul said, having the understanding or having the intellectual part of one's mind darkened. Uh, Just listening to yourself and your dad, uh, Michelle Wolf. You see, people with that mindset, their understanding, their intellectualism is truly darkened. And the more darkened it becomes, the more they're alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness. And the word blindness there in the Greek literally means because of the hardness of their heart. We are truly being divided today as never before. And the righteous are pursuing God, they are longing for God, they are thirsting for God, they are desirous for a greater relationship with Christ, and the world and the things thereof are diminishing in their eyes. But the world is gravitating more and more to humanism, secularism, artificial intelligence, and the personal gratification of their flesh. And it doesn't matter what it is, how raunchy or how rancid or how randy it might be, the world is gravitating towards that. And as Paul said, their understanding, their intellectual part of their brain, relative to knowing God, becomes more and more darkened by the day. And we don't realize it as Christians, because we walk in the light. Jesus said in John eight twelve, I'm the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Psalms 119, verse 105, David said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus said in John three nineteen, Men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now, in the natural, most crime and bribes and uh, prostitution, gambling, drug, drug running, all of these things happen under the disguise of darkness. But if we look at this in a spiritual context, darkness versus light, Jesus Christ... In these people's lives, the darkness is getting darker. And the day will come when the mind has been completely gone black. And we're witnessing that right now in our nation. You know, if for no other reason that God allowed Donald Trump to be president was to show you and I to illuminate our minds and see the dichotomy and just how great it is. I mean, you know, we all knew that Obama, Loretta Lynch, Eric Holder, Hillary, 
we knew these people were vile. They are wicked people. They're sinful people. They have no reverence of God whatsoever. But now that God has allowed an illumination, we're beginning to see just how immoral and how corrupt these people have become. And we may not realize it. We are blessed in so many ways to not know how deep the putrid, rotten mess really is. I I keep thinking about God and His omnipresence. God never gets away from the evil that men are committing. Every day, it's dark here now in America, and you'll see the, the, the riotous living begin to explode at night. And it's daytime over in the eastern part of the world. But my point is, we're, we're coming to a place where the darkness in men's minds is becoming absolutely black. And, and therefore, they cannot discern their right hand from their left hand, and they keep progressing toward more and more evil. And you and I grapple to try to understand that. I've concluded. I do not want to understand it, because if I could understand it, I might somehow, through my fleshly mind and my fleshly thoughts, be able to somehow embrace it and agree with it. And then I myself, as Paul said, become a castaway. I become a reprobate. I become apostate. Now, I know there are those listening tonight who say you can't lose your salvation. If you choose to believe that, that's perfectly fine with me. But let me say, you cannot fall off a ladder unless you've gotten on the ladder. And Paul, or Jesus, said in in Revelation 2, 5, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Fallen from what? Fallen from grace. Remember that, Jesus said. And he said, repent. These people in America are coming to a state and a place where they cannot repent. I believe somehow some of them would like to repent, but God says, you've crossed the line. I will not allow, I will not tolerate, I will not suffer you to come to repentance. Romans 2, 4, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. What if God says, you have spurned me, you have rejected me for the last time, therefore I'm not going to deal with you and your sins anymore. See, repentance simply means we turn from evil to good. When we turn from evil to good, we don't get worse, but we become better. Repentance signifies a change of one's mind. Consequent to retrospection, indicating some type of regret for the course we have pursued. And it results in a wiser viewpoint, a wiser perspective of the past, and says, I will seek to not allow that in my life again in the future. There's a word called compunction. Compunction. Remorse for wrongdoing. Contrition. An uneasiness or a hesitation about the rightness of a particular action. If my actions are not right, 
And when I say right, that means righteousness. If my actions are not righteous, there should suddenly come over me a overwhelming feeling of uneasiness and hesitation. Have I done the right thing? And if that uneasiness, if that hesitation comes to you, you know that the Spirit of God is dealing with you about your life and your lifestyle. But the far left, and and, and it's evident, and we all know it, are going further and further and further and further left. And so their understanding is becoming darkened, darkened, and I believe if they stay on that course, their minds will become totally black. Ultimately, they will be totally alienated from the life of God. Life is in none other than Jesus Christ. John 1, 5 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light and darkness are, are simple, uh, rudimentary terms that you and I, we all understand of the natural. The sun goes down, it gets dark, sun comes up, it's light. Light and darkness. But this is the difference between God and the devil, God and evil. And these men are becoming more darkened by the day. And the greater the darkness, Paul then says, because of the blindness or the hardness of their hearts. They come to a point, and, and, and this is why we all have such contempt for, I was listening to someone today on, on the news about women's health rights, health rights, and with all that we're talking about was murder. They're not talking about true health, they're talking about murdering a baby. Yep. You see, that baby needs health too. That child is nourished through what that mother consumes. And, but yet they want to put the onus in the context, well, we, we want this woman to have health rights. No, you don't. What you want to do is give her the right, the privilege to murder, and it be legal. It would be exactly. legal. And you see, Joe, Doug, we can see that. I, I can see this has nothing to do with the woman's rights. The right that they desire is we want to kill children on demand, and everybody cannot, anyone cannot say anything negative about it. Why? It is the law of the land, they will say. That's why everybody has this great anxiety about Kavanaugh or whoever Trump would nominate would try to overturn Roe v. Wade. And, Pastor, if I can just jump in to make the distinction, this sure. is the only, the only law that I've ever seen the left basically say is settled and to overturn it is a violation of civil rights and women's reproductive rights. It's the only undisputable law. We can debate the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, but don't Absolutely. you dare go after Roe v. Wade, which isn't even in the Constitution. From the time Cain slew Abel, God questioned. He said, where is your brother? His conscience dictated that he said, Am I my brother's keeper? The mother should be the keeper of that child. That child is in her womb. There is, there is a connection 
that no man will never have because that mother is carrying that child in her body. And there's an attachment, there's an affinity that a man will never able be able to understand or to grasp or to fathom. And when they when they when they are purveyors of this kind of stuff, I, I witness the hypocrisy and I, I witness the apostasy, how they are apostates. I just read the other day where the, the Southern Baptist organization has now become overly infiltrated with the LBGTQ people. You see what, what they're doing, they're trying to drive God out of everyone's consciousness. They do not want Joe and Doug Hagman and every listener to have a conscience where the Holy Spirit of God can prick your conscience and make you uncomfortable. And after you start living that lifestyle, and you live that lifestyle for so long, lying does not bother you, cheating does not bother you, misrepresenting the truth does not bother you, adultery does not bother you, fornication does not bother you, drunkenness, drugs, none of these things seem to bother you. You know, I, I just, I, I don't even want to be near anything that is evil, anything that's compromised, anything that's a partial lie, a part truth, however you want to term it. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that. First Timothy 5 and 22, Paul said, neither be partaker of other men's sins, keep thyself pure. It's up to me to keep David Lankford pure. If I'm with people and they're trying to coerce me to do something that's against my God consciousness, I have to stand up and say, no, I can't be a part of that. And if it means abandoning them, if it means disfellowshipping with them, then I must do that. I must do that. Because there's going to be a grave consequence paid for people who think they can still be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Accept me like I am. Here's the problem. They're not wanting you to accept them like they are. They're wanting to change your mindset, how you view particular things. Whether you accept them or not, that doesn't matter. They're trying to change our mind. They're trying to, however they do it, and, and this is why the Bible talks about sorcery in uh, Revelation 9 and 21, where the Bible said they repented not of their uh, sorcery, their murders, their fornications, and their thefts. They, 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 didn't, they wouldn't repent of this, see? So, number one, murders. Neither repented they of their murders, abortion nor of their sorceries. Sorceries. The Greek word is pharmakia. English word pharmacy. Us country folk call it a drugstore. Nor of their fornication. Young people today, regretfully, instead of getting married, they just live together. They just shack up. But see, the sin is, the body is the temple of the Lord. But they're trying to change the attitude, the mindset, the persuasion of our society. The moral fiber is being broken down, and sin is the culprit. And then, of course, they do not repent of their theft. I just, just right here in Charlotte the other day, they called a doctor, you know, faking 
uh, Medicare payments, uh, charging for stuff he never did. You know, the love of money is the root of all evil, the Bible says. And while men have coveted after evil, Paul said, they have erred from the faith. And that word erred there in the Greek is seduced. And we always we always associate seduction with uh, some kind of sexual immorality. But that's not always true. Paul said in 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times... Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, this is, this is what happens in the church. Seducing spirits, false doctrines carried about by demonic entities and those who have yielded themselves to those demonic entities. Therefore, they begin to preach and teach things that are in absolute error, absolute opposition to what God's Word has said. And when I, when I see things and I hear things, and again, and I'll, and I'll say this till I die, the Christian church is so shallow in the Word of God today. And so they'll come out with a new doctrine, a new ideology, and they'll give you a Bible verse. But what happens on the other side of that is they can't reconcile a verse that say, you know, I know, the listeners know. And so when you put the two verses together, they're in opposition because you're trying to take one and build a false doctrine or a false premise. And the other scripture says you can't do that because you've got to make this scripture interpret that scripture so they're both in harmony. But instead of doing that, they squash that godly, same scripture, same Bible, same author, they take that away and say, no, we're, 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 that's not what that is. We're not going to believe that part. See, as Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light. Listen, hell will be full of preachers, pastors, prophets, apostles, missionaries, and people who thought they were Christians. I was at the hospital yesterday, and and uh, the subject came up of drinking, you know. And, uh, and I, I, everybody knows that knows me, I do not drink anything. Because not even I know RC me. Cola? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I drink RC Cola. I'm talking about alcoholic beverages. And, and I'm not here to castigate or impinge anyone that would sit down and drink a glass of, of a red wine with a dinner or white wine. I, I, I wouldn't go that far. But here's the problem. How many people don't stop there and they drink enough until they begin to lose their inhibitions? That's, there's a reason alcohol is called spirits. They drink enough till their inhibitions are changed and altered and they become reckless. They become reckless. They, they lose that pristine consciousness, that pristine awareness. I know. I, 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 I worked in nightclubs. I lived in that world. And I see how people are altered. I see how people are changed. I see how they, they come in sober, and they're not going to do this, they're not going to do that. Before the night's over, they're doing everything they said they would not do. What did that? What did that? Whatever they were consuming altered their perception altered their inhibitions. They were taken totally away. 
and they begin to do the very things. And, and, and this is all about Satan trying to darken the understanding and then alienate them from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their hearts. Now, the Word of God is like the sun. The Word of God will melt wax, just like sun will melt wax. David said, the mouth is the hills melt like wax at thy presence. But the same Word of God will also harden a ball of clay until you can throw it through plate glass or shoot it through plate glass. If you have the power to force it, it'll go through the wine. It has become so hard, it'll break glass. But it was pliable in your hand, forming it, fashioning it. See? Well, people are coming to a place they're getting harder and harder by the day. And the same Word of God that is melting one person's heart is hardening another person's heart. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the danger here in Philippians, uh, excuse me, Ephesians 4 19. Who being past feeling, that's the state, that is the posture, that is the position, my friend, that you do not want to come to. We've all seen or witnessed someone who has had a spinal cord injury. Sometimes the doctor will touch their toes, their feet, stick them with a pen, trying to get some kind of response, trying to get some kind of reaction out of that person. And they'll ask them, do you feel that? No. Do you feel that? No. Do you feel that? No. See, the conclusion is you have become, you've become so hardened, so hardened that you're past those normal feelings. Like, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have went there. That's when compunction, the remorse, the sorrow comes in. But Paul said they're going to come to a state and a place where they are past feeling. Let, let me say it like this. This is as simple as I can say it. If you do anything wrong, there should be a hesitancy in your heart. That was not right. Can I make it right? Whatever the circumstance was, can I make it right? Or in making it right, do I just have to get on my knees and say, God, forgive me, I sinned? Maybe it's a thought. Maybe it's a, uh, the way you treated somebody. I, I don't know what it is. But when you get past feeling, you have become so hardened, you are beyond being touched by God. The Spirit of God can no longer now pervade and permeate your heart because your your heart, your mind, your conscience. I, I quote this verse so many times, Psalms chapter 10, verse 4. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. There's, I mean, every day, and I'm sure Joe, Doug, many listening, you walk around and God is on your mind. Your God content. Yeah. It's just, it's innate. It's there. It abides. His abiding presence lives in you, and therefore he's constantly 
dealing with you. Now, he's not beating you over the head. He's just dealing with you. It'd be like a uh, an apprentice. Someone is teaching someone something, and they see them do something wrong. They don't go up there and hit them with a the two-by-four and knock them out. They walk up and they say, you're not doing that right. You're not handling that right. Let me show you. That's what I'm here for, is to show you how to do this right. And then you become skilled. You see, we have so many purported Christians today that are absolutely unskilled. They'll say, well, I've been a Christian for 30 years. And I say, you've had a one-year experience 30 times over. You're not growing. You're not changing. You're staying the same. If you are growing, you are changing. I do not wear the same shoes I wore when I was six years old. Six years old. They're, they're just they were, they're, they're too small. So the growth in my physical body anatomically demands I change my shoes because they, I can't wear them no more. As we grow in Christ, it is demanded, it is commanded of us that we change. Now, in uh, Hebrews 5 and 13, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. He's a babe. In other words, he has no Christian depth or experience. That's why I said uh, they've had a one-year experience 30 times over. I have made so many changes in my life from the time I became a Christian. Why? Not changes for the worse, not compromising, not not embracing, endorsing, condoning sin and changing my convictions. No, my convictions have actually gotten greater. But I've also become more skillful to not allow myself to get in a particular posture or situation where now I've really got to fight. You know, if you, if you know you can't swim, why are you going to jump off on the deep end of the pool? If you know you can't swim, why would you do that? So you go, to the, you go all the way 180 degrees to the other, other side, and you get down into where the water's three feet, and you have your little fun on the shallow end of the pool. You're still in the water. But if you're not skilled, you can't go off the deep end. But skilled people have the ability to dive into the deeper things of God because their Christian walk has been honing them, grooming them, creating a greater skill to see through the things. You know, and and, and regretfully, and you guys know, preachers are just preaching about blessings. They're they're more philosophical. It's human reasoning. You know, they never talk about getting right with God and then beginning to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They never preach that, that part. Never. Why? It's not important. Because they don't want to be offensive. Uh, They don't want to say anything that might hurt somebody's feelings. But here's the danger. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. When you become past feeling, when you can't feel like you should feel anymore, something happens to you, Paul said. Well, what happens to me? You have no 
restraint. That's what lasciviousness actually is. You have no restraint whatsoever in your life. You do whatever the whim, the caprice, and whatever your flesh desires. I'll, I'll use that word. I don't care what anybody says. I'll, I'm not going to drink a pint of liquor. I'm going to drink a fifth of liquor. That's lasciviousness. It's, it, it's, it's, it's riotous excess. It's the personification of wantonness, wastefulness. In other words, there's no boundaries. They, they, they break all the parameters. They, they break out of all the guidelines. They break out all the, the guards that have been set to protect us. You know, I'm, I'm not stupid. I know a lot of people think I am, especially some of the emails I get. But my point is, I know not to go to certain places. I know not to uh, deal with certain people. I know to not fellowship with certain people. Why? It's going to be trouble. It's going to be a problem. It's going to be chaotic. That's not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is grace. The Spirit of God is long-suffering. The Spirit of God is merciful. The Spirit of God is patient. But that's why we don't tempt God. We tempt God by trying to go beyond the guidelines, the parameters that God has set in our lives. So when you go past feeling, you give yourself over to lasciviousness, and then what does that do? To work all uncleanness with greediness. All uncleanness coupled with greediness. In other words, you can't have enough of the uncleanness because you're greedy about it. Uh, I've got... Uh, two Japanese Akita dogs. I have a male and a female. My male is the most docile, loving dog you've ever seen in your life. He's a big boy, too. But if I walked out in the yard with him and the female, and I got one bone, she's going to knock me down to get the bone. He'll let her have it. Just, all, just so passive. She's she's uh she she's 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 just got that dog mentality. She's going to fight to get the bone. Well, that's greediness. See. And so Paul says, after you've went past feelings, you, your, your conscience is no longer pricked. Your conscience is no longer moved or stirred by the circumstance or the situation. You then give yourself over to the personification of wantonness, lust, greed. And then it brings, that, again, that element of greed. And, 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 it, and greediness simply means you can, you can never have enough. You are never... Never, ever satisfied. Never, ever satisfied. Now, uh, that uncleanness that Paul speaks of here is filth. And the Greek says it uh, can also be in the natural, physical, or it can be moral uncleanness, lewdness, uh, incontinence. Uh, and when I say incontinence, I'm not talking about bladder control. I'm talking about sexual control. That's what the Bible is saying here. Uh, uh, unnatural pollution, uh, just garbage, just refuse. And you see that by the filth, uh, like Michelle Wolf, the things that she says about that aborting the baby. I think the night that she was making fun of uh, Sarah Sanders Huckabee, you know, she took her elbow and made the motion, you bump the baby out of the womb. And people laughed at that. Did they not realize what she was saying? You murder the child. You kill the baby. You see, so Michelle Wolf, unless God shows her mercy and leads her. Now, I'm not saying God can never 
deal with anyone because he is God. He can do whatsoever he wills. We're, we're told in 2 Timothy 2 and 25, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. In other words, I keep preaching. I don't water the message down. I don't pollute the message, but I keep preaching the truth. There'll be somebody listening tonight. I'll get an email. Has God quit dealing with me? Only you know that. Only you know that. And if God is dealing with you, you need to respond and do what the Holy Spirit is charging, commanding you to do. But see, Paul says, you keep preaching to those that oppose themselves. You see, Michelle Wolf is opposing herself. She's so blind, she's so callous, she's so far past feelings, she doesn't know that. She's opposing her way to the cross. She's in opposition to her salvation. But, Paul says, you keep preaching, you keep instructing, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. They see, repentance... The, the, the word repentance, we always say, turn 180 degrees, quit doing what you're doing. Repentance, Paul says here in this passage, 2 Timothy 2.25, Paul said repentance is the acknowledging of the truth. And the acknowledgement of the truth is, I'm wrong, I'm a sinner, I've got to get this thing right. I, I've got to get this right with God. So here to the Ephesians, and here in this scripture text, here in chapter 4, Paul continues on. But ye have not so learned Christ. You see, people that are living like that don't know Jesus. They've not learned the ways of Jesus Christ. Jesus was our example in everything. Jesus fulfilled priest, prophet, uh, apostle, uh, mediator, uh, captain. Jesus was all in all. Once people come to that knowledge... Then they take up their cross every day they follow the Lord. And then when they err, they err in their lives immediately. The Spirit of God doesn't wait 24 hours, 48 hours for the most part. He, he's going to deal with you now. Why? Because your heart is still sensitive. You, there's, a, there's a greater awareness. But you let that sin go for weeks, and you just kind of sweep it under the rug and say, I, I, I'm going my own way. And after a while... You lose the sensitivity. So he goes on in verse 21. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That, that is so profound. The truth is in Jesus. I'm going to say this. People can get mad. You think truth is in thus and thus and thus and thus. The truth is only in Jesus. Now, the things we do, tithing, praying, fasting, whatever, we do that because we are in the truth. But the personification of the truth is Jesus. Remember his words in John fourteen six: I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come unto the Father but by me. Jesus is not a measure of truth. Jesus is all truth. When your life aligns up with Jesus, you become more truthful. You become more honest. Your, your conscience is so much easily pricked and stirred and moved upon to say, man, I know I want to do that. I'd like to say that, 
but that spirit of grace in your life restrains you from doing that. Now, there are times in every Christian's life you want to tenderize somebody's head. I know there are times I want to do those things. But in my heart, as soon as that thought comes into my conscience, I know it's wrong. Now, I have the I have the absolute right to override that and do what I want to do, or I have the right to submit to that and say, I know that's wrong. I'm going to submit my life to Jesus, and I'm not going to do that. And listen, when you least expect it, you'll be going down the road, and life is beautiful, and life is grand, and all of a sudden, here comes a curve straight out of hell and hits you so hard, so adamant, you don't even know what hit you. And it's like, God, what's going on? The, 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 the old cliche is true. When you're always on your knees, it's hard to fall. I was at the hospital yesterday. A lady used to play my piano. She's in her early 80s. She fell. She broke her femur bone. Had to have a, several rods and screws put in her femur. And just age is, is finally taking its toll. And I thought about that as I was by her bedside. You know, had she been on her knees, that would have never happened. Now, not that she was not a godly woman. She is a godly woman. I'm, I'm trying to make a point here. When you're on your knees, when you're walking, but in your heart, you're still on your knees. When you're living your life, you're walking out your day, you're, you're doing these things, and you are in your heart, you're on your knees, you're contrite. You're full of contrition. You're full of, uh, of, of, of remorse. You have humility. It, 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 it's, it's almost impossible to fall. I remember years ago, 1994, I believe it was, whenever the Oklahoma bombing was, uh, Tim McVeigh. Um, was that 94, guys? That was April 19th, 1995. 95, April 95, okay. 95. I was in Knoxville, Tennessee, sitting on a balcony reading my Bible when it came across the news that uh, the Oklahoma City bombing had taken place. As I was sitting there reading my Bible, the Lord spoke something to my heart. And I've never forgotten it. It was that indelible. That's been 23 years ago. He spoke three things to me. He said, stay humble, be quick to repent, and live at the foot of the cross. Those were the three things that came into my spirit as I was watching that mammoth hole in the side of that building. And I was sitting there reading the Bible and just meditating on the Lord. Be humble, be quick to repent, and stay or live at the foot of the cross. And I've never forgotten those three simple things. But you see, Christ wants it to be simple. He doesn't want it to be hard that, that you've got to be a the, theologian to understand this and understand that, put this together, put that together. That's why God has given the church, the body, his body, gifts to men, Ephesians 4.11. And he gave gifts to men. Now, that's, that's twofold. He gifts men when he calls them into ministry, and he gifts the church, he gifts the body of Christ by giving them these men to help us. 
So Ephesians 4.11 says that he gave gifts to men. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now here's the problem with that. Satan is always seeking to counterfeit the original. So now we have fake. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They're fake. They don't, they don't love God. When, when all a man is after is your, quote-unquote, seed money, he doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about you. But a man that loves you will tell you the truth in love, with conviction, whether you ever bless him or not. Because he's not serving people in the context as they are his Lord. He's serving Christ. He serves, if he's a true man of God, he serves. Just like yesterday having to go to the hospital, I still serve. I, got a, I have a short list of people that are adamant that I still preach their funeral when they pass away. And most of them, them now are in their 80s. And, and they, they call me, they stay in touch. Why? They, that lady asked me probably three times yesterday, you are going to preach my funeral, right? I mean, she was adamant, you know, and because and, and, I, I preached her husband's, which was uh, 10 years ago. The point is, I continue to serve, even though I'm not pastoring a church, I'm still serving people. But see, God has given us ministers who are telling us the truth. Now, they don't have mega churches, and for the most part, they don't have mega ministries because they're not commercializing, uh, trying to live the, the glamorous life. They're just preaching the gospel, and if they're faithful to whom much is given and God can trust, he'll continue to give more. But if he can't trust you, I, see, I'd rather stay small till I die and make it to heaven than to have a worldwide ministry and go to hell. Because there are preachers in hell. I'll never forget Burke Clendenin's vision. When he was having a vision, and he saw a man running through hell, and he was reaching down into the flames of hell, and he was pulling up men by the collar. And he'd, he'd, he'd find one and throw him back in the flames. He'd, he'd walk, find another one, pull him up, look at him in the face, and throw him back in the flames. And Burke Clendenin, who's dead and going to be with the Lord, he said, God, what are you trying to show me? He said, that man is looking for the preacher who lied to him. Who lied to him. And what does that tell you? That tells you you have charlatans. You have pretenders. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Noah, and to this Society, this generation would be looked upon as a pathetic preacher. Yet the Bible said he was a preacher of righteousness. But you know why he would be deemed a pathetic preacher? He only won eight souls. Eight. Eight. That's all. He didn't have a mega church, 10,000 members, 20,000 members, 30,000 members. Eight. But he was a preacher of righteousness, he was obedient. And he did what God commanded him to do, and he did it. And because he was obedient, because he was faithful, he inherited eternal life. And see, God was merciful to him in that he was forewarned of things not yet seen. Hebrews eleven seven by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith 
I want to say that last phrase. He became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Faith. That's how you're saved. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith. Moses, I mean, excuse me, Noah was saved by faith. He believed what God had said. And you can go back and read the book of Genesis. It had never yet rained on the earth. God was continuing to water the earth from a midst. God said it's going to rain 40 days and 40 nights. Noah believed God. And because, here's the key, he moved with fear. The Greek says he was wary. He knew God was saying something that he was not familiar with. Maybe he didn't fully understand what was about to happen because the earth would be flooded for 40 days and for 40 nights. But God told him how to prepare and to build an ark. And that ark was symbolic of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Savior. And it's by faith you get in him spiritually. You get into Christ and Christ gets into you. And that, that's how we're saved. And so he prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world. You see, if we don't believe, we're condemned. That, 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 that's why he's told him in, in, in Mark to go into all the world, preach the gospel. If a man believes... He's going to be saved. If he does not believe, he's going to be condemned. It's just that it's just that easy. It's just that simple. You have to believe. If you believe, you're going to be saved. And so our faith is based on believing, trusting in what Jesus did for us on the cross that redeems us from our sins. So when we sin, we petition the Father in Jesus' name and say, forgive me of my sins. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See? So I want to encourage the people tonight, go back and reread the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians and look at the things that Paul said there. Don't ever come to the place that your past feeling. That is a dangerous state and a dangerous place to come to. Amen. I'm going to give it back to you, Joe. Wow. Well, this is Doug. I'll take it just for a second. Okay, (laughs) Doug. Fantastic, uh, fantastic message, I I must say. Um, We can learn a lot. Uh, Thank you for for your your spiritual message that we need this so much today. my goodness, Joe. I... Yeah, I mean, when we, uh, and that's the only story I posted on the website today was Michelle Wolf and that uh, abortion. Uh, Which you mentioned, yeah, that's horrible. And I actually, like I said yesterday about canceling the Netflix subscription, I did that today. And I think, you know, we need to uh, do, th- we, we can't, we cannot, as you said earlier, Pastor, about being um, uncomfortable, being in a situation where you're uncomfortable. Uh, because something is wrong or or you can feel not it. righteous, yes. And as he said, as you know, the Lord pricks your conscience. Yep, it's the same thing with uh, you know whether it's our our cable bill supporting what they put on TV or Netflix. I mean, there's a, a time and place for entertainment, but we don't have to put our own uh, dollars behind funding. Um, you know, we might as well be funding abortions ourselves if we're going to be funding outlets that support them as much as uh, 
Netflix which is why I think we all, you know, Pastor, I think we all have to make a decision. We're all in this, and we, we need to make a decision. We cannot be spectators in, in this fight, this spiritual no. fight. No, we have, to, we have too much passiveness, and regretfully the pre-trib rapture just has everybody saying the Lord can come any minute. That's not yeah. going to happen. You know, till you see a covenant made uh, with Israel in the Middle East, we're, we're not even we're nowhere near yet. I don't know. How, I've conceded. You've heard me say this. I, I may die before the Lord returns, but I'm not going to stop plowing and preaching the gospel because it, it, what you just said there, Joe, is so apropos. Is is one grows in Christ, our lives are always changing, not for the worse, but for the better. We're 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 looking back. That's 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 what. Uh, a retrospection uh, indicates regret, uh, the course we have pursued. So we're going to be wiser concerning what we've done in the past, which makes us wiser and better But what's going to take place in the future. See, God does not walk around, as I said, with a two-by-four beating people, but the Spirit and His presence abiding is always nudging you, go this way, go this way. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. See, once you're a Christian, you're in. Once, you're, once a person is born again saved, there's nothing you can do to be any more born or saved again. You, there's, there's nothing you can do. You're there. You're in. But it's, it's skillfulness. It's maturity. And that's where the Spirit of Christ takes us to another level every day. It's another level, another level, if we're willing to go that way. And that's what brings about maturity. And of course nobody will ever attain that place of ultimate maturity till Jesus comes. Because Amen. it's in Christ that we grow. I'm sorry, Doug. No, I just I'm just echoing that amen. Uh something I, I've I've grown to learn. So very very well said. Thank you. Having children helped me to learn a lot about my heavenly father as I deal with my children. And as I said so many times, ten years between the oldest and the youngest, so you you can't deal with them the same way. But they're all my That's children. Right. I deal with one right. personality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're all different, and that's what it is in the body. So, God bless everyone. Let me Thank encourage you. everyone to keep praying for our president that God would protect him from the wiles of the enemy, uh, because he is really trying to do everything he can to hinder uh, the Trump administration. And you say, why well, pray for him? I don't like him. We're praying that God will keep our nation together because I tell you, there's going to be a fall event come one day, and it's not going to be pretty, and there are going to be grave consequences for the sins of this nation. So everybody mm-hmm. keep praying. God bless you, and I'll see you Thank guys, you. Lord willing, you. next week. Thank you, Absolutely. Right okay, have a good night, everyone. All right. Bye-bye. Folks, that'll, that'll do it for us tonight. Uh, very very good message by Pastor David Langford. Don't forget, check out HagmanReport.com. Please bookmark HagmanReport.com. Uh, Eric Bowling is back with his new show, America on CRTV. Uh, Peter Berichauka is the author, of course. That was retweeted by Eric Bowling. Follow Peter Chauka and Eric Bowling both on, on Twitter. All information is on HagmanReport.com. Tomorrow, we've got a fantastic show planned out for, for tomorrow as well. And then Friday, oh. Just wait, Joe. Yeah, it was a, it was a content guest-filled show tonight, so I want to thank everybody for taking the time out, for joining us, all the guests and all the listeners. We'll be back tomorrow. Have a great night.